Boo, you spooky fucks, it's Gooncast. Yeah. <laughs> spooky, scary Ooh. Halloween movies. <laughs> Hi, everybody. What's up? Happy spooktacular ghosts and goblins out there. Everybody get, get your treats. Because, well, actually, we don't really have any tricks. But well, I, I got apples and razor blades, baby. Let's go. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold but on. They're all for me. Hold on. Oh, my God. There could be a trick. It depends on if Lee is doing another episode mm-hmm. of Lee. Don't put that in your body. Well, that's true. No, no. The, no, the only thing I've got nearby on hand is some body lotion, which, oh, oh. I mean, for the benefit of Lee, don't put that in your body. <laughs> I could drink it. <laughs> Good God. It has less caffeine and taurine than I'm used to, but... <laughs> All right. Well, we we did say that we might just use this podcast to talk about Morbius again. Yes. Um, so that could be the trick uh, eventually. But no, in seriousness, we're here. To talk about Fear Street again. Oh, God. <laughs> Have a good no. night, folks. We're going to talk about three super cool, spooky horror movies that have come out recently that we've... Mostly liked, I believe enjoyed. So. Yeah. Um. I... But but first, we should introduce ourselves because we've been too busy being spooky to do so. So I am Cat, aka the Attack Cat, on Twitch. I am a dialogue designer by day and a writer slash artist slash horror enthusiast by night. Ooh. That's right, and it's your boy Lee Alder, the Valley Jester. I'm a fantasy and horror writer, and uh, today I will be the resident Clive Barker expert. Oh! And for Halloween, I'm also Macho Man Randy Savage. Yeah! <laughs> oh, man. Are you actually, are you dressing up as him again? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love, that stream you did as him was glorious. And Jam? And I'm James, and I have another disappointing <laughs> Halloween sequel. <laughs> I am James. <laughs> oh, oh! I'm gonna, I'm gonna save, I'm gonna save my my expertise for this episode as a surprise. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna, but we're gonna kick things off uh, with I think I think we're doing it in like reverse order of viewing. Um, so we're gonna kick shit off with Halloween, James. All right. Take Bef- it away. And before I take it away. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Evil drinks tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, get it in there. Uh-huh. The Halloween uh-huh. Ends is another disappointing Halloween sequel. It's another <laughs> piece of shit. Um it's it's a lot more watchable than Halloween Kills. Uh-huh. Uh, Amen to that. It's a lot more entertaining than Halloween Kills. I still oh. don't know where it kind of ranks for me personally as the the one person who has seen every single one of these stupid fucking movies, but it doesn't matter since 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 the, the I'm there's, one away, James. <laughs> you are since there's like three or four good ones, and then the rest are like mid to unwatchable. Mm. So yeah, it's a pretty lame fucking franchise oh. for the most part. Actually, as a quick aside, podcast James and I have been watching the entirety of the Halloween franchise in our spare time. Um, and we got to, what was it, Halloween 4 or 5? Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers, baby! Yeah, and uh, we watched the whole thing, and then at the final shot of the movie, I realized 
I had seen the movie before. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, so that's, that's, that's how forgettable that fucking movie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. James, tell us about Halloween Ends. So Halloween Ends is the latest Halloween film, and it's the ending of the, the, the David Gordon Dream, Green trilogy that started off with the 2018 Halloween film, uh, was followed up on by Halloween Kills, and came up with Halloween Ends. This film was was supposedly planned out all the way back in like 2017, 2018, because they, they said they had planned uh -huh. for two films. But when you watch oh, yeah. the entire trilogy of movies, you realize there was no fucking plan. That or they mm -hmm. threw away the plan and just 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 would did reactionary shit because there was no cohesion. This is this is basically just like how not to write a trilogy, uh, and that's that's part of the reason why I'm generally more mad. Like my expectations were low going into this, but like there is no fucking reason to make a new trilogy out of this, or at least hype it up as though. We have this grand scheme. Um, I can't really talk too much about Halloween Ends without entering spoiler territory, so... Spoilers! Yeah, I think I think very early in each of our discussions on each of these movies, we will enter, enter spoiler territory. So spoilers from here on out for Halloween Ends. Yeah, yeah. treat yourselves for Halloween. All three of these movies we're going to talk about today are worth watching in varying degrees for varying reasons. Yes. But they're all three worth watching. Yes, yeah. agreed. Uh, and yeah, I guess we'll we'll do like a timestamp or something of when to skip to the next one. Nah, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's, 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 yeah, I, I don't want to go through the podcast and find pot timestamps. It's too much pain. That's yes, fine. I'm that's lazy. That's the, that's the trick. You want me to I'm do lazy. it? No, okay. <laughs> you don't want to do it. I mean, I know you're going to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, I'll listen to the whole thing. I'll put a I'll put a comment on the. There you <laughs> go. My one YouTube comment will be <laughs> the tags for where to avoid spoilers. There you go. Um. <laughs> So yeah, Halloween ends. It has spoilers, as as we said. It it has a, a lot in common with Halloween three in the sense that it's primarily not a Michael Myers movie. Michael Myers movie, so much so that even like the opening text uh, font choice of the movie is actually reusing uh, the font and font coloring of Halloween three. Oh, wow! Instead, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, so much, and it's it's basically a. Uh, I guess a, a passing of the torch kind of quasi movie, and it's 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 like a, I guess you could say it's it's one of those. Um, God, what's what's the name of the fucking coming co coming of age stories? Yeah, there you go. It's a coming of age story about this young twenty something lad named Corey, and on Halloween twenty nineteen, he goes babysitting, and the kitty's babysitting is a little shit, and during the middle of this babysitting night right before the parents are about to come home uh the stupid kid gets himself killed and it's kind of funny uh flash forward to three years later so now four years post michael myers killing spray michael hasn't been seen in years he's 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 nowhere to be found uh laurie strode is finally moved on she's got a house and, and is doing old lady shit uh but apparently everybody in the town fuck uh has gone cuckoo bananas and they, they all became dicks 
and they want somebody Everyone to blame. Everyone in this town is a gigantic asshole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, since Michael Myers hasn't been around, they've basically all been bullying Corey because everybody's convinced he murdered a, a little boy for fun. When in reality, the stupid kid just got himself killed, and it was really fucking funny. Um, anyways, they've been including fucking marching band bullies. Like, these fucking yeah. stupid 17-year-olds uh. are all fucking r- riding around in their fucking convertible looking for nerdy 20-something-year-olds to pick on. Is Sure. All right. Marching band bullies. Let's go. Um, and Lori sees kind of a lot of herself in Corey. Uh, and is like, hey, here's here's my granddaughter, and the granddaughter like sees him, and then immediately starts giving him the goo goo eyes, and the two fall in love. Um, oh yeah, like the first forty five minutes of this movie are like bad. All of our main characters badly flirting with one another. And yeah, it's just like this is a Halloween movie. <laughs> yeah, they're badly flirting with each other, and they're picking on Corey. It's it's like forty five minutes of character development, and that's fine, but. I, yeah. I, I don't really think it was that executed all that well. So for the most part, it's just um, you're kind of sitting there like the fuck is happening, right? Like because you have no idea what the fucking threat is at mm-hmm. all. You have no idea what to be afraid of outside of marching band bullies, who are the, like the most terrifying fucking thing imaginable, apparently. Anyway, speaking yeah, of march, keep, oh, go on. Yeah, keep keep in mind that this is forty five minutes. In the epic conclusion to a slasher trilogy, and we have not seen our famous like pop culture killer. Also, also bear in mind that in Halloween, Halloween Kills starts with Michael Myers massacring a bunch of firemen. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like all that all that was missing was like some butt rock soundtrack <laughs> in the back. Go ahead, strong. I'll take you on. <laughs> Don't Make you it sound don't, like a Navy recruitment ad or something? Don't yeah, you yeah. dare bring trapped into this. I don't care about the, how I'll the lead singers and asshole. Into any conversation I want. To. I, I'm a trapped <laughs> fan. All right, they don't deserve to be attached to Halloween kills. All right, fine, fine, no trapped. Okay, fine. Like fucking fine. maybe just yeah. There we go. Godsmack. But I can settle for Godsmack. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> they go to some Halloween party at a at a bar, and the mom of the dead kid is there. And she starts picking on Corey. It's like, you killed my son. How dare you be happy? <laughs> and Corey, you know, he leaves. Uh, and then the marching band bullies show up. And then they attempt to murder and they throw him over the railing of some bridge down into like a gutter area, foresty gutter area. And he's dragged into the sewers by Michael Wires because Michael Myers is Pennywise now. And apparently he's been living like a goblin or troll under this bridge for the last four years, occasionally emerging from his fucking cave and eating something. Like, and by eating, I mean just dragging somebody in there and murdering them and putting them into the walls or something. Um, Tori wakes up, and Michael, like, starts to choke him out, because I guess Michael was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait for him to wake up before I murder the fuck out of him. Um, but then he, like, looks into his eyes, and I guess... Because this is this this is where I think it starts to get entertaining, but also really stupid. Uh, I guess he like sees everything that Corey has been through, and is like, "Yo, bro, you've been through some shit. You a homie," and just lets him go for no real it, no real reason. 
and Corey stumbles outside and kills a homeless man. And this is where we uh we we start to learn that Corey is going to be our big killer this time. Yeah, like okay, for those of you out there who have seen the crow, okay, the crow had the special power that he could touch you and like experience all of your pain in your lifetime. And it's like Michael did that and liked what he saw and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to give you my vicious murder hobo energy." I think I think we joked at the time that he had ghost rider powers. <laughs> yeah, he had ghost rider's penance stare. <laughs> yeah. Except instead of using it to like melt his face like the Ark of the Covenant, it like it buffs him. It's like, "I'm going to give you my superhuman zombie man strength." Yeah. Yeah. Man. And that that's when we realized like it took us like a minute or so after that happened to fully like realize what happened as a plot beat. And as soon as we realized that was like a soul transfer of power, we were on board. Like, okay, this movie still sucks, but mm-hmm. let's see where this goes. Cause yep. this has goon potential now. And this is and this, oh boy did it. This was my second viewing too with them. Because I watched it when it dropped, and then I, the entire time I'm sitting there, and then they're like making observations, and then I just go, ding, 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 and they're just like, ah, oh, fucking goddammit. Um, so then the next 45 minutes is um, bad boy Corey um, in a relationship with Lori's, Lori's granddaughter with some occasional spiciness thrown in. Like, um, Corey lures this dumb asshole cop down into Michael's lair um, because the cop is is like Allison, the granddaughter's ex-boyfriend and he's kind of a creepy sex pervert asshole and Michael stabs him and Michael's all like old and enfeebled and he can barely move and he's like, yeah, my bones, my bones. I mean, he's not saying that, but he's probably uh, he needs a He needs a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He needs some fucking life alert, goddammit, because all senior citizens need life alert. And then and he stabs the cop and and the movie doubles down on the idea that with each kill from Halloween Kills, each kill Michael grows stronger. So it's like he stabs the cop and he gets healed. And it's like the thing that I'm really confused about as to why the fuck that he's super enfeebled is because he got like, yeah, he got the ever living shit kicked out of him in Halloween Kills. But then he immediately stood up and murdered everybody and appeared to be fucking fine. Granted, it's four fucking years later, but it's like. He was fine. All right. He was fine. I'll get it. Um. And then, then Corey and Michael go out on a on a on a date, a double date, that ends with them killing this doctor and this dumb nurse in in the home. Um, it's sort of like a Bonnie and Clyde little murder spree. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little cute. It's a little cute. Um, and after about forty five minutes of this shit, how could my masked serial killer possibly be this cute? Uwu. Yeah. <laughs> then then after uh, uh, about forty five minutes of this shit, um. Corey is like, yo, bro, I need your mask. And he, like, like fucking bullies Michael and takes oh, his mask. Okay. Yeah, um, we need to talk about this scene. It's, it's one take. It's one shot from a distance. And they're just running back and forth in the sewer um, as, as Corey's just bullying this, this elderly, crippled man with superhuman murder powers. And he, yeah, takes his, I- he takes his mask and then leaves. I, I need I need you all to really understand that when, when James says the word bullies the mask off of him, he he means it. This this young kid like emasculates Michael Myers. Like if there was a toilet nearby, there'd be a swirly involved. 
He's he's reaching down into the drawers and like hiking up his jocks for an atomic wedgie and like yeah. smacking him upside the head, paint brushing him. Yeah. It's it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's bullying this elderly old man who who took him in and and like was like gave him murder I mean, powers. Gave him murder powers. He's Michael Myers is basically like the Mr. Miyagi in this movie. He's like, you know, for the next next karate kid. He's he the just... Mr. Miyagi if Daniel beat the shit out of Miyagi. Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> So then after Corey steals the mask, Corey goes on his own little killing spree, killing everybody who wronged him or Allison. Uh it's it's a fun little sequence because you know we're finally getting to the slasher of this slasher movie. Uh after uh an hour and a half of like mostly eighties weird rom-com shit. Um, excuse me. Fuck. Um, there's some fun little kills that aren't nearly as, like, excessive as, like, Halloween kills. Nothing too gratuitous. It's, they're shot really well. Like, the, the one where the, the Corey just sticks a little blowtorch in the dude's face, and he's like, Ooh, gee, bow, bow, bow. Ooh, gee, 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 bow, bow. but it's, like, shot so you don't, like, see gratuitous shit. It's, it's fine. It's cute. And Corey goes over to Lori's house, and 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 Lori is like, oh my god, my my granddaughter, she's so mad at me. I'm gonna go kill myself. And then like she pulls the trigger, and then Corey walks into the room, and Lori's like, did you really think I'd kill myself? And then like shoots Corey, and then uh, inexplicably she's all like, I'm gonna just waste all the bullets in my gun. And then Corey's like, if I can't have your granddaughter, nobody will, and just stabs himself in the neck. And mm-hmm. then Jamie like grabs the knife. To like like pull the the to try to I guess maybe I, I don't know what the fuck she was thinking there to incriminate herself basically and then your granddaughter walks in is like you murdered my boyfriend and then just runs away and then um Lori goes into the other room and it's at this point uh the the enfeebled Michael Myers has made his way to Lori's house he's like my mask I can't see anything without my mask and he um takes the mask back and kills Corey. Uh, and then we get a, we get a, we get a, another fight scene between Laurie and Michael, oh. and um, it's it's silly and it's over the top. It's kind of fun, but um, the important part about this fight scene is David Gordon Green didn't lie when he said this is going to be the final chapter of this Laurie Strode saga because the, he Michael Myers gets the ever living living fuck murdered out of him, and uh, I, I kind of like the movie for that. Like he gets. He gets his, he gets pinned by a refrigerator. He gets crucified to a countertop. Uh, he gets his throat slit. Uh, Allison comes oh, in like yeah, a w- yeah. WWE funniest, wrestler and breaks his arm. The funniest oh. fucking scene of the movie. Like she literally just runs in, screams no, and snaps his fucking arm in half. Yeah. Grabs the arm of this superpowered serial killer and gives him a compound fracture. It's so fucking funny. Like it's great. And then, uh, and then they slit his wrist, and then then they drag drag his. Then they like like mount his body on the hood of a car, and like the entire town is like, "Oh my god, it's a good old fashioned murder. Let's go!" And they all like follow oh, yeah. oh, Lori. The- the town's murder energy gets so good. Like they yeah. were better after kills and they stopped chanting shit. And then they're like, Oh, good old fashioned murder party. Let's, you know, let's get yeah. the lynch mob together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, then, then they take him to get the junkyard. Blue ribbon. They take him to a scrapyard and throw him into like a metal grinder. And we comically see Michael Myers head pop. Presumably because David Gordon Green is like, let's see you fucking hacks. Try to retcon this. 
Y'all gonna have to go with full fucking reboot, baby. Uh, oh, nah, nah. Magic. Yeah, they fucking with magic. They're gonna bring back the fucking runes. Yeah, the curse of yeah. the thorn or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um Yeah, and then then that's basically then in the movie, Allison leaves town and Lori goes like, Oh, I'm gonna go with this this nice elderly guy who's been in the whole trilogy and we're gonna go to the sea cherry blossoms in Japan. Yeah, sure, whatever. And then, <laughs> then I think I think it ended with Don't Fear the Reaper. I don't remember. It did end with Don't Fear the Reaper. All right, and yeah. also, there was a like MIDI cover of Don't Fear the Reaper in playing in the grocery store in the middle of the movie. And that was fun, too. And then, and then, and then the last scene is Lori finishes writing the last page of her book, and she shuts it just in time for Samwise to come up behind her and go, you finished it! And yeah. it says, the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> because evil doesn't die, it changes shape. It, no, it's, evil doesn't die it goes across the sea to live in the afterlife with the <laughs> elves yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so, so yeah. Oh, boy. this movie this movie had a beautiful period of time that lasted surprisingly long i'd say it lasted about an hour from the point that um that cory inherits his murder powers from michael and then just spends like an hour doing very formulaic slasher shit mm-hmm. you know experience inconvenience at hands of side character stalk mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. comically kill them yeah and, well the comically you know, killing was only in like the last 20 minutes of his arc though yeah i mean some of them were you know some of them there were some good some, kills yeah like killing the dj was great oh, yeah. cutting his tongue out mm-hmm. with the the scissors oh, yeah, and, like, the kills know. were the kills were like kind of a highlight yeah. of this movie because like there was yeah. a, nothing was super was... gratuitous or over the top like in Halloween Kills. Yes. Uh, and this was the more fun, gross slasher movie mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, like yeah. they finally kind of realized what is like what kind of deaths are actually fun to see on screen, and it's not torturing an old couple for thirty minutes. No, yeah, spe- speaking <laughs> yes. of which, that old that old lady somehow survived. Oh Ex- yeah, that's right. And her sister's an asshole. Was like, how dare you smile when my sister feels pain? Okay. It's, it's, right. I'm kind of reminded I... of the Eloise Cole thing. Like, <laughs> how, how can people smile when I go through so much pain? I I don't want to be a broken record on this podcast, but I feel like this is a stance that I've been pretty solid on. So I just have to maintain consistency. I'm really tired of this whole like trope in horror of like the Stephen King school of senseless bullying. Yes. I'm really over it. Yes. I'm I I'm really tired of situations where the entire reason given to like justify the payoff for a side character being killed in the second or third act is them just being an obnoxious piece of shit mm-hmm. to our protagonists all through the first act. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's that thing that that King, you know, created and passed on to his fucking son. And now it shows up in Morbius. Oh, you've got blood cancer. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. you stupid kid. You're dying. Ah. And like mm-hmm. in this, it was hilarious. Yeah. Every every <laughs> single person who lives in this town had shit to say about Lori or shit uh-huh. to say about Corey. And the uh-huh. shit that they had to say was, meh, how dare you be alive? Yeah. How dare you smile when I go through so much pain? Yeah, yeah. I've, hey, I've, seen that, I've seen that brought up as, like, a positive. Like, the town being infected with, like, 
angst or like hatred and whatever. And it's just like, no, this is just no. Yeah, like I, they, I, they tried to set that up at the beginning, but it's still comical and stupid. And yes. also, they they set it up. Okay, they set so, it up in a montage. They set it up in a montage with narration, which is honestly like one of the laziest forms of delivering a narrative in a movie. Like, it can be done well, you know, I'm not saying that there aren't movies that have narration that aren't good, but especially for, like, the previous Halloween movie, or the previous Halloween movies didn't have any narration. So, that's another point in the favor of, like, they very clearly did not plan this stuff. Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I, like, excuse me, Halloween 6 had narration where we get the weirdo per- Tommy Doyle. I am I am only talking about the this trilogy here. Yes, I remember Tommy Doyle and you're just like his who neighbor the f- and well, talking also, about you're just like who the fuck is this person because they didn't introduce yeah. him and it's just Paul Rudd talking. Yeah, yeah, like, he just started yeah, happening. Paul Rudd just started talking. <laughs> um but but yeah, the The idea was there. It was just yeah. poorly executed. I, trying, I think... to, trying to give the town itself character is a great thing. And a lot of properties have pulled it off very well. You know, yes. granted, it's not a long form like series like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Diamond is Unbreakable, making the town of uh, you yes. know, Morio like a living, breathing entity. Uh-huh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. But you can you can accomplish that goal in two hours. Yes. And oh, not absolutely. have it be so one note. Like my recommendation, you know, not to do the thing where we armchair, you know, rewrite all of these scripts like we usually mm-hmm. do. But yeah, I mean, we have well, a good track record. Yeah, we um, do. <laughs> is make everyone be very self-serving and, mm-hmm. you know, but have it be different things like each one, like not to use the seven sins, but like every person is just acting very selfishly and acting for their own intentions, whatever they may be. Not have every single person be expressing it through anger at these two people simply having heartbeats. Yes. So the the other thing that um, I will note about this, we we talked about it while we were watching it, but um, this very much felt like kind of a almost like a genre miss where there were there was a lot to this movie where if you took out Michael Myers entirely, if you took out, if it wasn't a Halloween movie, if it was instead a werewolf movie, I feel like I would have loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I feel like it would have been exactly up my alley. If this was like completely void of any existing IP, if you just had, hey, start of the movie, you know, 30 years ago in this town, something killed a bunch of people. And now there's this boogeyman, right? There's this myth of like some creature that, you know, comes every Halloween and murders people. Um, And then, and then you can still have Corey going through his arc. He meets a fucking werewolf in the sewers. And then that's, that's how it, you know, how it happens. The fact that like they've made, and you know, granted, I know that in the whole, in the whole Halloween series, Michael Myers does have, magic powers or like some sort of supernatural thing about him. And they hint at that supernatural thing in the 2018 Halloween. But the key word there is hint, right? It's, it's given this sort of like gravitas to like, he's not human, right? But like, he is human. It's just, you're hearing, you're hearing that kind of like 
people saying that from, like, the, the fucking crazy doctor that wants to release him, right? Or, like, the people that are terrified of him, right? Yeah. But, like, ultimately, I think the strength of the 2018 movie is that, you know, the, it's sort of this unreliable narrator bit with that particular um, notion that Michael is not a person. He's a monster. He's a shape, right? Then Halloween Kills is just like, no, he's got superpowers. He can just regen health, and every time he kills, he gets stronger, and he's just butchering his way through entire legions of firefighters and, you know, what have you. He's, and he, He's, like, legitimately got video game lifesteal. Yeah. Like, he plunges a knife into somebody, and he, like, hulks up a little bit. Yeah, they, they, they go even further into that with this one, which, I like, I'm sitting there thinking, like, this is a cool power. I wish it wasn't Michael Myers's power, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Like I I, w- I wish they had done something di- like different. It doesn't it also just doesn't feel like the conclusion of this particular trilogy. No. I, I think I think more so than anything else, it makes Halloween Kills so much more redundant yeah. than it already felt. Yeah. It's it's like, there, yeah. there's no like as I was mentioning. There's clearly there's no there was no clear plan for this fucking trilogy. There was there's no real setup for any of this shit <clears throat> that was occurring in with Corey or anything like that outside of just um Michael Myers' spooky powers and when he kills he gets stronger, which is kind of briefly touched upon in Kills. Like the the only noteworthy thing about Kills, the only thing really about Kills that ties into fucking this movie is just the fact that Laurie Strode's daughter died. That's it. It's you could you could literally yes. cut out everything yes. that happened in Kills and just apply mm-hmm. the town's reaction to the events from Halloween. I mean, oh, I, oh well, and I guess the elderly couple getting attacked. That's it because they bring yeah, back the that, that's true. That's true. But it's like well, all that shit could have been in Halloween 2018, and Kills yes. could be gone. Um, yes, L- literally. If if you had just made Halloween 2018 like. 30 minutes longer uh, and just tacked on the, the ending where like Lori kills him. Like that would have been, that would have been it. Right. Like we yeah. wouldn't have to have another, like it, it's, it's just like, we didn't need all of this extra stuff in between because nope, you know, it like I, I personally like, yeah, the the ending to me was less fun just because I was I was having fun with with Corey seeing mm-hmm. him come up as like a new the new shape essentially. And then they're just like, "Nah, he's just a he's just a lovesick puppy. He's going to he's going to kill himself because, you know, Lori won't let him have Allison because he's and, crawling and, in his skin these wounds they will not heal." <laughs> yeah, and then and then we're going to have the last 15 minutes be like a final showdown and it's just like mm-hmm. this one one it's not an earned final showdown because kills is nothing happened in kills right it's like kills is such a nothing movie that it just doesn't it doesn't feel earned and then halloween ends also doesn't earn that you know michael myers versus laurie ending because the movie isn't about them yeah it's michael's been Corey gone the entire time yeah, it's just like it's just like why would you why would you set up this this cool werewolf story and then be like oh oh fuck we forgot it's a Michael Myers story and then be like uh, Corey's dead now Michael Myers come back <laughs> like yeah <laughs> the the 
the pacing of the movie and the overall impact of the ending was ruined by needing to stick to this idea of Lori versus Michael. Yeah. If if they let that idea go, like, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I think it should have been a Sith, like, transition of power, Apprentice kills Master. I think mm-hmm. Corey mm-hmm. should have killed Michael. And, yes. like, I don't know, double yeah, down on cool. the double down on the stupid magic bullshit of, like, he kills Michael and inherits all of his strength. You know, yes. hold, fuck, yes. fuck, fuck even Holy all of that. Shit. Like, why not? Michael's been dead for the last four years. Because he's a fucking elderly and feebled man. Corey stumbles across his fucking corpse. Yeah. And is, like, no, hallucinating get, and shit. The, he just gets the mask. And, like, the we'll mask see. is, like, oh, yeah. I I was hoping, because they, they showed it a few times in um, the first half of the movie. There was the second mask that Corey was wearing for a while. That was, Scarecrow like, um, mask, yeah. It was the Scarecrow mask. I thought, have him wear that throughout the entirety of the film as he's a killer. And then his big final statement is killing Michael in Act 3 and taking the mask and becoming as powerful as him. And then then Jamie Lee Curtis having to put him down. So in her head, she's getting closure for killing the essence of the shape. She's killing the evil. Yes. That, I because mean, that it's, not so the it's not about the body. It's not about the body that And then inhabits. that ties into the final the final uh, line of the movie. God damn words. So good. much better. <laughs> like it's like evil evil changes shape. Okay, well it didn't. You still killed Michael Myers at the end. There was it, that was still the ending. Listen, but yeah, if, it if needed more runes. Cat and yes. I are accepting scripts for revision. <laughs> we charge a fair rate. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we're 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 good. <laughs> but uh, I'll stick runes in it just because I'm gonna take the piss. <laughs> Listen, I'm here. I'm also here for runes. But yeah, just uh, it, it is a fun watch. Like Lee said, like I think it's definitely our least favorite of the night or of this. Oh, it's 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 not insufferable. I can definitely no, say that. No. It's no. it's not fucking the fucking redneck in bullshit of Rob Zombie's Halloween, where inexplicably they're like, "LOL, here's a rape scene." Yeah, sure, uh, it's, whatever. It's not the 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 barely quantifies as a fucking movie due to fucking wild, stupid editing of like Michael uh, Halloween Six. Although uh-huh. you know that movie does have runes and Paul Rudd, which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also it's, it's also not trick or treat, motherfucker. Yeah, although Busta is the best part of oh. Halloween Resurrection. Yeah. Everything else Busta about Halloween Rhymes Resurrection made is this movie like, fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bring back Busta. Bring back the yeah. entertainment. Oh man, oh, trick or treat, motherfucker. Actually, actually, can you imagine if the radio DJ wasn't a radio DJ, but he was like. Like an internet TV show guy. Yeah. We just bring well, Busta know, Rhymes back. Yeah, yeah. They could have kept him as a radio DJ and just in this timeline, Freddy, Fre- Freddy, uh, whatever, Busta Rhymes' character oh. is the radio DJ. Ooh. That would have been great. Ooh, that would have been, that would have been good. Would, that I mean, the, I mean, hell, you could have, you could have even like still kept the guy who, cause I thought the radio DJ guy did a great job. You could have yeah. still kept him in the role, but just been like, oh, this is, this is the, this timeline's Freddy, whatever. Sure. And it's like, oh, Shit, cool. He yeah. does he does make a resurrection reference in his final scene before he gets his tongue cut out. Yeah. In the uh in the um yeah, cuz basically they're, you know, the, oh. the the town is sort of on edge of like, oh, when Mike when's Michael Myers going to come back and so he makes a joke about like 
Oh, like, when are we going to get our resurrection? Ha ha ha. And then he gets murdered. <laughs> also, uh, in a blink if you miss it cameo, and I didn't realize that. For all you uh, fans of Joe Bob Briggs and, and his recent revival on Shudder, uh, uh, the radio DJ's uh, assistant or whatever who, who's on screen for, like, all of, like, 30 seconds is uh, Darcy oh, the Mail the Girl. the Girl? Yeah. Oh, shit. It's like, that's cool. Yeah. And I, I found that okay. out the other day, and, and she was like, well, I got my, I guess my death scene mostly got cut. Oh, well. Oh, oh. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, she, bad. I like her. Yeah, I'm she, not the biggest fan of Joe Bob, but I like her. She, she, she's also a big Halloween 3 fan, and I guess Joe Bob doesn't like Halloween 3, so she takes it, she, she uses the mm-hmm. opportunity to bring it up almost every time. Just to rub it in. <laughs> that's why I don't like Joe Bob. Yeah. I, uh... Yeah, I, I'm I'm also trying to kind of figure out where I would place this one. Cause so going into this, I think all of us had such low expectations that I had basically like reserved a slot on my like bottom five for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't I don't even think it makes that cut. Like not, not, not only of, that, I had hyped meh? up how meh the franchise was that you reserved your bottom five slot yeah. for the entirety of the franchise. Yes. And then it turned out you'd seen most of them and you'd just forgotten about it. Yeah, I'd just forgotten. Maybe it'll maybe it'll crack my my three most disappointing things just because I think I think when Halloween is good, it's very good. Yes. But that's it's so far in between when it's actually good versus when it's just awful. (laughs) Like it's almost like throwing the whole franchise away at this point. It's either really, really meh and forgettable, like Mostly yeah. serviceable, um, or or really, really, really terrible. Yeah, which is a shame. It is a shame. It is a shame. Michael Myers is a cool. Uh, when he's done right, he's very interesting. Which I think they've they've only really, in my opinion, done him right twice? in the original. Yeah, twice basically. Yeah. Um, and and Halloween three is good. Yeah. Fuck you, Joe Bob or whoever. Well, I, fuck, I, fuck everybody who doesn't like Halloween three. God damn it! Halloween three slaps. Don't don't hate <laughs> anybody, uh, but yeah, I'm not. Um, no, yeah. I'm kidding. I mean, ha- Halloween three is fun. I think there is a there is an alternate universe where we just got a continual like you know couple of, every couple of years release of a new Halloween movie that's just like an ever growing like you know, extended universe of different stories that just kind of, like, take place around Halloween. Yeah, like Cloverfield. Spooky. Yeah, like Cloverfield, but yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just have to wait for a sequel to Trick or Treat. Oh, oof. yeah, that is a good one. I mean, shit, in an alternate universe, Trick or Treat could have been Halloween 7 or 8 or whatever. But That's Trick true. or Treat is fucking That's great. True. That's true. Well, go yeah, watch Trick or Treat. Said... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man! Now, now you guys have me wanting my my other uh, ultimate alter alternate universe uh, franchise, Final Destination, a yearly entry. <laughs> yeah, no, the Final Destination needs to come back. Like, I, I don't, I, I, I will die on the hill that there's no bad entry in the franchise. Yeah, some are stupider than others. Oh, but yeah, some are. They are so they, fucking funny. That the, franchise the is so goddamn funny. The rules get very stupid, and what they need to do is they need to just keep injecting new blood into it. Like, it's just, it's basically just like a Marvel Cinematic Universe where, like, they just have a bunch of, like, good horror directors 
come do their take on it, basically. But every one of them just has, like, basically it's just like, hey, you're doing a Final Destination movie. The only rule is you got to have, like, insane Rube Goldberg kills yeah. every every time. Yeah. That's it. That's the rule. What Anything else? Go nuts. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I want. Take me to that universe. I, I want a crossover event that is a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. It is a crossover between Final Destination and Wish Upon, mm-hmm. where there is a group of teenagers who are fated to die by both the Chinese Puzzle Box and the Grim Reaper. And their attempts to sway fate to get them all killed keep clashing with each other oh. into a relentless comedy of errors that gets none of them killed. Amazing. There you go. Amazing. There you go. I'm here for it, Lee. Let's 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 get cracking on that script. Yeah, like, <laughs> we gotta talk to some people. <laughs> and it, it has to end like um, um, Sadako versus Kayako, where where uh, I don't know if either of you two have seen that. It's basically no, I have uh, not. Unfortunately, well, oh, God. oh man, well I got it, Cat. We gotta watch it now. I know that's, we got that's it. That's Ring versus Grudge, baby. It's Ring versus Grudge. Oh, I know what it is. I just have, I have refused to, or you know what? Knowing me, maybe I have seen it. I don't oh, remember like oh, two scenes oh, from oh, the movie. You, you'd remember this piece of shit. <laughs> it's, it's kind of wonderful. Anyways, <laughs> final, final thoughts, the thoughts on uh, Weevil Pies at Night. Um, I think I've got the least amount of stakes, so I'll get mine out of the way. I'm, okay. uh, I'm not a slasher fan. Um, oh. I don't like, uh, I don't like movies that have one unstoppable killer. You know, just going through mm-hmm. the the ranks of harmless cattle. Um, like my favorite mm-hmm. slasher franchise is probably Puppet Master because it's got oh. some weird elements to it and a unique cast of characters. You know, like, the Jasons never did it for me. Freddy's got a little bit of play because he's got the dream powers and he can do some yeah. weird shit with them. Yeah, he can, get, he can get fun. And the franchise yeah. has gotten very meta, which I always appreciate, so. Yeah, and so, like, the straight-up, like, slasher flicks have never been my thing. Um, mm-hmm. I respect the fuck out of the first Halloween because I think mm-hmm. it it stands the test of time. It's a great movie. I I am firmly of the belief that Carpenter is the greatest horror director of all time. Mm. Yay. Um, yeah. And I think that this movie it exceeded my expectations and still kind of wound out being like a resounding meh, mm. which is a lot better than what I was initially thinking it was going to be because Halloween Kills was an absolute train wreck. Yeah. Um I thought this was a fine movie. Go watch it for a good time and John Carpenter's score is once again immaculate. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, that that is, I think, one of the best things to come out of this franchise is getting more music from him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on my end, I I, th- I think I'm actually kind of in a very similar boat to you, Lee. But like, I I do like slasher movies, but I think I I tend to fall more into I like the ones that aren't franchised. I like the ones that are just like a one and done, or like mm. it's a serial killer stalking people, or you know, it's some supernatural thing stalking people. Um, but yeah, the the I think the franchises have never really won me over too much. Um, I do think 2018 uh, was probably like you know outside of the first one, my favorite Halloween movie. Um, one of my certainly one of my favorite slasher movies. Uh, I think it did a lot of things really right, and it just unfortunately 
it it's very clear they didn't know how to stick the landing and they got reactionary to whatever criticism they got in the first movie and yeah they just they they pivoted who you know who knows i can't speak to how I, I wasn't in the writer's room i wasn't you know privy to like production conversations or any sort of like fallout from from covid or anything like that but yeah ultimately i just think that the the two sequels were a miss for me this third one less so uh, if you think Werewolf Pennywise with Ghost Rider powers sounds cool or sounds laughably bizarre, then check it out. <laughs> Hell yeah. My final thought is needs more rooms. <laughs> Thank you, Jam. <laughs> I, I, I said everything in my summary. I, yeah, I cracked open a beer. I, I don't need to say anything. Else. <laughs> All right. Well, evil sure did die tonight. Yeah, so now let's talking about uh, coming, Lee. I'm going to make you come. Well, all right, time to open up this can of worms, or in this case, a puzzle box. Um, <laughs> so I I don't want to give too much away before we get to uh, before we get to a future episode gushing about uh, favorite horror movies. But mm-hmm. I've got a gigantic soft spot for uh, the Hellraiser franchise. Now, I did say franchise. The first two movies are absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then is a swath of bullshit. <laughs> yep. Yeah. However, this does not stop the Hell Priest from showing up in space. Yeah. In a video game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fighting Superman. uh it does not change his uh it does not change that his role uh in hell's army shifts from being recruiter to enforcer to judge to slasher villain to why are you here hell priest um he's got he's got rent to pay lee yeah those those rooms in the labyrinth aren't cheap yeah um so Hellraiser, um, Hellraiser spawned initially from a novella called The Hellbound Heart, written by horror master Clive Barker. It came out, in, I think, in 86. Um, and, like, immediately after that, it, it got picked up for a film release the next year in 87. And the original Hellraiser is... It's, I think it's one of those movies that if, if you like it, you love it. Because I've heard a lot of people, I haven't heard many people like in the middle when it comes to Hellraiser. There's like, yeah. there's like fanatics, and then there's like I could take it or leave it. Yeah, um, I, I was actually pleasantly surprised because I so Will plays the aforementioned video game that features uh, Pinhead, and uh, <laughs> so I was like, "But you've never seen Hellraiser," and he's just like, "No, but I I know about all the lore." I'm like, "I don't think you do." Uh, okay. So. I had him sit down and, and watch, and he actually really dug it, which I was nice. pleasantly surprised by. Yeah. Continue, so, sorry. No, you're good. So uh, the, the core theme of the, of the series and the character in the book, for, for those of you out there who have no exposure to it, um, Pinhead, as many of you will probably know him as, is kind of ingrained in horror culture in the same pantheon of like the slasher killers and everything, very iconic look. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the context of the early films and the book, he's not that sort of creature. He is, he's an emissary 
for a cult of otherworldly entities. They are they are neither angels nor demons. They are just some sort of travelers from another dimension that worships pain and riding that fine line between what is painful and what is pleasurable. And they basically just want to find you and recruit you into their BDSM sex cult. And yep. yeah. now we are, we are in 2022 and uh, I, I heard a, I heard a movie critic explain it really, really brilliantly. So I just have to directly steal it. We are officially past the era of groaning and moaning about reboots. We are now at the point of like indifference. Like we're just, we're, we're kind of yeah. just waiting for the shoe to drop. and like, Oh yeah, it's about time. That one got a remake, you know? Thought that'd yeah. be six months ago, but here we are. So yeah, when when I heard the Hellraiser remake was uh was coming out, uh I was not thrilled. And then the first bits of information started to come out about it. Um, some of the stills, some of the casting. Um, a very interesting choice for someone who uh who read the Hellbound Heart, and that's the casting of a woman to play the Hell Priest, which is much more in line with the source material. And so I went into this film with some cautious optimism, which has betrayed me several times before on this podcast. But I'm happy to say Hellraiser 2022 did not disappoint. Um, I think in terms of the flood of reboots and remakes, I think this is by far one of the most successful because it was not afraid to do some things differently and play around with the lore and it it didn't want to be a retreading of old ground. It wanted to present some new ideas, some which stuck and some which didn't. But overall, I liked that it was willing to take some chances. Um, so Hellraiser uh, with David Bruckner directing, uh, who did Ritual in 2017, which is a fucking great movie. Um, oh, I didn't realize he did that one. Yeah, he did Ritual. Very cool. Um so this one follows the exact same trend as just about every other movie in the franchise, which is a protagonist who is of, I don't want to say questionable morals, but they are very prone to giving in to the darker side of their desires. Um, someone who is just the kind of candidate that the Cenobites would be interested in. Um, our main character is Riley. She's a recovering drug addict who uh, picks up a boy toy at a 12-step meeting and uh they go out to have a little bit of fun and rob the storage crate of some uh of some eccentric MIA businessman who like has a mansion and uh they find the lament configuration which is the you know it's America's favorite prop right next to the bible and uh those who solve the puzzle open open a gateway to summon the Cenobites and bring them into our world and to tempt us with their, with their many pleasures. Um, it's one of the things that this movie tried to treat a little differently. Um, in the original material, if you were to solve the puzzle box and they came to, uh, they came to recruit you, that was, that was about it. They came, there were hooks and chains involved. Um, if you were of a like certain level of fiendish delight then they would recruit you into their ranks. Their their group is called the Order of the Gash. And um, in this one, they play a lot more with there being like multiple configurations of the cube as you solve it. Um, 
a, a required number of sacrifices that are needed to fuel the the cube to then ultimately bring you to the final stage, which is six sacrifices deep, and you can make an offer, you can uh, request a blessing, essentially, from the Cenobite's god, Leviathan. So they were willing to throw the dice and play with the mythos and try some new shit, and uh, mm-hmm. essentially we follow Riley and her crew of immediately forgettable secondary characters who exist purely to be tortured. So just a bunch of Gen Z. Oh, you know, they they fodder. I mean, I, I I like the boyfriend until I, I until did, the end. I I did like well I okay so there were there were people I liked but anyway continue. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to our opinions later. They weren't necessarily oozing in character. No, uh, no. When it comes to oozing in character, that's of course the uh, the realm of the Cenobites, yeah. which uh, which did not disappoint in this film. Um, the classic look of the Cenobites has always been mutilated flesh and uh, skin tight black leather, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a very cool creative decision in this film to forego the leather and to instead make the mutilated flesh into its own clothing. Yep. It's it's fucked up and grotesque and brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's and cool. they were... the the costume design on this movie alone is worth the watch. Yeah, the yeah, the costume design was brilliant, the creature design was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um and the menagerie of of creature like varieties has always been super important to the series. All the Cenobites usually have very unique mutilations that give them an essence of character. Um, you know, one of the biggest, other than uh, the Hell Priest being the Chatterer, who does make an appearance in this movie, whose mm-hmm. mouth and lips are peeled back to show off their pearly whites, with the tension on their jaw being so, so tight that it's constantly chattering its teeth together, and it's really unnerving. Mm-hmm. So you've got some great new character designs, like the Mask, who has just a floating dead skin mask suspended above its skin face, which is just mm-hmm. so gnarly looking. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially we, I, it goes through a sort of formulaic approach of trying to figure out the secrets of the cube until we reach a massive tonal shift about halfway through the film in which the characters go to the mansion of the eccentric rich guy who owned the box. And instead of being this almost like fucked up, Scooby-Doo, you know, tracking down clues sort of mystery. Now it turns into like, I just kept getting 13 ghost vibes of like, now we're in this gigantic ornate mansion that's got trap doors and sliding hallways. And it's encased in a moving cage of doors and configurations that look strangely like the box. Hint, hint. (laughs) I I I struggle to I struggle to stay beat for beat on this movie because I feel like Hellraiser has always kind of been more about God, this is gonna sound so pretentious. It's always been kind of about like the reasons behind yes. what's happening and not so much the beat for beat. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Yeah, I ba- think- basically. Looking back on like the first one and the second one, I kind of I 
forget a lot of the beat for beat and mostly remember the intention, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's a very good way to put it. Like I, I've rewatched the original pretty recently and about like half to 60% of that movie is just Frank being regenerated and Julia picking up dudes at the bar and feeding them to Frank. Yeah. And yeah. like, that's more than half of the fucking movie. Yep. And then about, you know, 20 minutes of Kirsty going, oh, uh, this is fucked up. Let's summon the demons. The demons are <laughs> yeah. somehow less fucked up than this situation. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yep. then, then Hellraiser 2, it's like 60% of the movie is creepy doctor hanging out with Julia. Yeah. And then the exactly. rest is terrible doctor puns. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor is in. Now my recommendation is amputation. I I feel like this one kind of did the same thing where we're always constantly waiting to to see what's going to happen with the Cenobites. And it's not because of like the the typical horror thing, the horror beat of like, oh, we're waiting for the next kill. Because they're not even that big on that. It's like, what what are they going to bring to the table as far as, like, their purpose, their their method? You know, like, we want to know more about, like, this fucked up religion of pain that they believe in. And there's some really, really beautifully written scenes, um, yes. especially showcasing oh. Jamie Clayton, who plays the Hell Priest now. Yes. And she- I... I, I, really I God, I have I have to gush about my favorite scene of the fucking movie. Please do because I, if it's the same as mine, I'm gonna be uh, very happy. <laughs> uh, it's 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 a a wonderful sequence sequence where um one of the characters has been pegged for sacrifice by the box. Yeah. Now a really cool gimmick with this movie is when someone has been designated as a sacrifice to Leviathan, reality itself will start to change and shift to open mm-hmm. a gateway between our world and Leviathan's. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the a wall in front of you might start to slide backwards and become an endless corridor into mist or, you know, whatever it may be. And one of the characters is pegged for sacrifice and before she realizes it, the back of the van she's being transported in elongates into an endless hallway and she's trapped with the hell priest who suspends her with, uh, with the hooked chains as is the classic maneuver and then starts to go on about the beautiful notion of like pain being music and starts to manipulate pins through the throat of the victim to change the pitch at which she's screaming. And it is such an unsettling, but still, and maybe I'm the weird one, a beautiful scene. Like, this, this movie was not afraid to explore some of the darker ideas of Clive Barker's work, but not going whole hog into just the sexual aspect, which is what a lot yes. of Hellraiser tried to do. Yes, yes, the Hellbound Heart is saturated with, like, that line of perverse pleasure yeah. and, you know, pushing mm-hmm. your, your sexual hunger to a dangerous extreme. That's, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like, that's true to the source material. Like, like yeah, even, yeah, even, even the first movie had to slightly tone it down, because, like, in the... 
mm-hmm. in the novella when Frank is like when he first opens the box and and he gets like hooked and he's about to be taken like on top of his gore like he fucking ejaculates on the spot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um, fucking gnarly horrific shit. And a lot of a lot of other um scripts that were turned into Hellraiser movies, uh if mm-hmm. you know if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. Um, decided to go all in on that idea as like, oh, we're going to honor the source material by keeping the freaky sex stuff in there. And this scene showed me that the that the writer, Ben Collins, really understood, like, that Barker flourish yes. of like, no, it's not about it's not about the, the sexual aspect of it entirely. It's about the fact that they find pain to be truly captivating and yes. like art. And and also, yeah, I, I just want to like because exactly that scene is also probably my favorite scene in the movie. And I just want to highlight one quote from that scene because it's absolutely brilliant and I will not do it justice by just reading it because Jamie Clayton's reading of it is perfection mm-hmm. but uh as as the 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 victim is like strung up and she's she's like begging she's praying for mercy she's praying for I think she says salvation mm-hmm. um the priest responds what would it feel like a joyful note without change without end there's no music in that. that oh. is. <laughs> like, come on, you can't like that is just such a oh, I, I I remember seeing like hearing that and I was just like, wow, like, damn, that yeah. is. Yeah, that was my moment of they get it. Yeah, exactly. Same. <laughs> I was like, and, oh, and we, we, we go into the third act and, you know, they've got to start to, you know, up the stakes a little bit. We get to the reveal that the uh, the original owner of the box who has been missing the entire series is still alive and he's living in the walls. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. No, old no. There's an old man in the walls. <laughs> yeah. And he's got he, some weird clockwork thing sticking out of yeah, his chest. Yeah. He, he has become cool. this fucked up clockwork monstrosity. Because uh-huh. he uh, he completed the six sacrifices and was allowed uh-huh. to make a wish from Leviathan, and he wished uh, for one of it, it, Leviathan presents to you six uh, like possibilities, and the one that he chose was pleasure or sensation, and uh, that's a that's a rough one to ask for when you're talking about like the masters of eternal pain and punishment. So uh-huh. they they fix this clockwork mechanism into him that winds up his nerve and is, is uh, his nerves like into the machinations that operate the clockwork. So his, his nerves are constantly in motion and being twisted through clockwork and never allowed to like rest. So he's just locked in eternal pain forever. And he's not allowed to die. And he doesn't like this. So then the reveal that the entire structure of the story has been manufactured by him, his name's Voigt, has been manufactured by him to gather sacrifices because Riley's boyfriend that she picked up at the 12-step meeting works for him, and what he's been please? two-faced the whole time, mm-hmm. and he's been gathering all of Riley's friends to act as the sacrifices to allow him to make another wish from Leviathan to end his suffering. 
And uh, of course, this uh, this does not go well for Voight. Uh, we do reach the point of um, of the final the final sacrifice. The cube is charged up. We get this beautiful scene of Leviathan himself descending from the heavens. And side note, Leviathan has to be one of my favorite. Like, uh, he's he's his visual representation of like a god. Yeah, is yeah. just. It's a piece of ominous geometry. Yeah. It's yeah. so Lovecraft. Yeah. It's, it's very simplicity. cool. Yeah. It's like, I'm a fucking diamond shape. And everyone's <laughs> yeah. like, oh no. Oh God. Oh yeah. God, it's Lucy in the sky. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then we we reach our, our final, you know, our final bartering scene between between Riley and the Hell Priest. And uh, she she is offered the six different wishes and she says you know i you know i've caused all this pain and suffering and you know i i i choose to just go on living as a mortal with that with that weight that's you know i don't want anything from your god fuck you i want a mulligan and the entire movie she's been chasing a path of resurrection for her brother who is the first victim of the box and uh, Hell Priest is like, ah, reverse Uno. That's actually one of the six. That's called Lament. So you are granted your wish, which is to stay a shitty mortal human, guilt-ridden. Yeah, suffering with... under the weight of yeah. those six people that got murdered because you fucked with a box. <laughs> yeah, your happy ending, Riley, is that you just get to live with the knowledge of what you did. Go yep. fuck yourself. Bye. <laughs> and uh, they make a special deal with Voight, uh, who yeah, so, is, is relieved of his his clockwork. Yeah, uh, she specifically says a gift cannot be ungiven, but exchanged. Yeah, so. he's like, I don't, I don't like the one you gave me as a prize. I want a different one. Yeah, and um, because of his his penchant for uh, for power and for always grasping for something more, the Cenobites grant him leviathan's ultimate gift which is to become a member of the order of the gash okay. and we get a gnarly transformation sequence of void into a cenobite to close out the movie pretty wild it, so, yeah. it's a fucking ride ending ending with a uh, a, a nice little crucifixion imagery oh yeah yeah you gotta, you gotta throw cool. some jesus in there gotta fucking, throw some jesus in there fucking kids these days need more jesus yeah it it was not trying to be a retreading of the original, mm-hmm. but it was trying to pay great respect to the source material. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took a lot of risks. And I think just about all of them paid off. I have gripes with some of the mythology and I've, I've read some fan responses to it and I've, I've oh. got to, I've got to own up a little bit to it. I have a major gripe that uh, during one point in the movie, uh, one of the six Ooh. sacrifices of uh-huh. the box is uh, Riley uses the box on the Chatterer, who's yep. one of the, the yep. bites. And in the mythos, if you're a massive geek about it like I am, the mm-hmm. Chatterer is Pinhead's uh, like general, like mm-hmm. most trusted bestie. There is a great <laughs> sequence in Hellbound, the second film, where in the theatrical cut, uh, when you enter the third act and all the Cenobites show up for their final battle at Chenard, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, The Chatterer inexplicably has eyes. And he's been eyeless throughout the entirety of the rest of the franchise. There is a deleted scene where uh, where the Cenobites get together and they they gift eyesight to Chatterer for being the most loyal of all the Cenobites. Oh, that's it's, wild. It's this cool sequence where, like, you know, the Hell Priest is like, you know, like just talking the most gushing, cool shit. There's like, you know, you I wish for you most, to see my boner, my most trusted of of generals, uh, you know, and it's a really cool sequence. So Chatterer in the mythos is like, is the number two and they stab him with the box and he just immediately accepts his fate and like puts his hands out in prayer to Leviathan and fucking explodes. Yeah. And I was I was noticeably upset. During uh, I was very mad. Specifically. I, I was the one I was the one kind of like steering the ship in terms of our watch party. And I think I paused the movie. Yes, you did. <laughs> and unmuted and said, they can do that. Yeah, they can do that. <laughs> now, I have had some I have had some of the fine folks <laughs> over on Dreadit, which is the mm. horror subreddit. OK, OK. Who who did point out as they pushed their glasses up onto the bridge of their nose and said, well, actually, it's been established since the original film that the box does have the ability to send the Cenobites back to their realm. This method in the new movie is just doing it in a more, like, explosive, destroying their physical form way instead of zapping them back. And I said, okay. But then... How does? How, but how does it count as a sacrifice? Yeah. How does it count as a sacrifice if he's not sacrificed? Yeah. Yeah, and then they like downvoted me and said like, "Go oh, fuck your mother" or whatever. But oh, yeah, uh, sounds cool. Right. cool. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, the the discussion ended there. That that point that that you're mentioning though, with, like chatterer sacrifice and whatnot, that um, that kind of ties into some of my pet peeves about the movie because I think the blade is a little too convenient um like i I was mentioning in our post viewing discussion the fact that like when riley solves the box for the first time and every other time like she fucks with it it's always conveniently like her hands are placed at just the appropriate angle to not get stabbed even though there's no indication as to where the blade will come out from and it just feels a little too plot armory and like some of the sacrifices too, it, it feel almost like uh, accidental. Like even the brother's first sacrifice, you know, he just picks up the box and happens to like scrape his hand on it. It's like, yeah, oh, what the fuck, and just throws it. Um, it it almost feels more slasher e than Hell Hellraiser one and two. Uh, like I, I like the different the idea of like during different the, um, configurations and shit. But yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I yeah I mentioned it during the viewing that it was probably the biggest shift away from the source material that that I didn't like because there's a really beautiful moment in in Hellbound where Chenard, the villain, uh, mm-hmm. tricks tricks this girl in the in the mental asylum into opening the box because she's a genius when it comes to puzzles and she solves the lament configuration and the Cenobites show up. And they're like sharpening up their knives and like, yeah, it's going to be a good weekend. And Hell Priest is like, no, 
it is not hands that summon us it's desire and yeah. he points through the wall hell priest gets all the good lines <laughs> he does hell priest is the shit and that's that that is like uh, even though i'm kind of more muted on this film um one of the things that i can say is you know doug bradley doug bradley will forever be hell priest just because like he started the role it's kind of like how Robert England will forever be fucking Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. But of the three replacement hell priests, because there oh. were there were two within the, the, the last two straight to DVD films, and now Jamie Clayton. Jamie Clayton, hands down, is the best. She and granted, while that brilliant. is technically not saying much because the last two were pretty shitty, she's really fucking good and is a very close second to Doug Bradley. And I could even see if they make additional Hellraiser sequels with Jamie Clayton, her potentially being on par with Doug Bradley. She just needs more more, more screen time, more iconic mm-hmm. delivery and shit like that. Because she's yeah. really fucking good. Yeah, the, the Hell Priest that Doug Bradley played, especially in the early movies, because as they went on, they started trying to, like, manufacture, like, ham-fisted shit for him to say, because that was, like, an yeah. established thing now. But, like, he's got some truly haunting pieces of, of dialogue that oh, are, yeah. like, ingrained in horror mythology. We'll tear your soul apart. No we tears. Have such it's sights a, to show you. No, no tears. No tears. It's a waste of good suffering. Yeah. Um, my, what, my favorite one, believe it or not, actually comes from the fourth movie when they're in space. Oh, oh. He's, he's got a brilliant line Um where he's he's having a face off with the protagonist who is the descendant of the guy who made the box. And it's their big big showdown. It's canonically the fight that kills the hell priest. Oh yeah. And oh, he I just this. and he just says so like nonchalantly, I am so exquisitely empty. And it's just like, oh, oh, that's good. Yeah. And they have a little like throwback and forth. I think the guy says to him, uh, then it shouldn't hurt you at all to die. And he says in that Doug Bradley voice, I cannot die. I am forever. Beautiful. But I'm I'm all about Jamie Clayton. Um, Bradley's performance is like ingrained in the history books as one of the great horror character performances. Jamie Clayton is the hell priest that I see in the book. Yeah. Because... The, the Hell Priest in the Hellbound Heart is presented as androgynous, but very heavily leaning into feminine features. Um, yeah, the, it's, the, it's, the, from what I understand, the these Cenobites are all disfigured to the point where it is virtually impossible to determine what their sex is. But, but Hell Priest has a, a, a lighter voice in the novel. The, um, the Cenobites, you can, you can tell what what gender they were before their mutilation they they leave the hell priest a little more ambiguous because mm-hmm. at least in the source material it plays with the idea of androgyny because it's the biblical representation of how angels were presented to us sure, as yeah. being neither male nor female and it's sort of this idea of like oh when they say like we're not angels and we're not demons there's sort of that like parentheses in smaller text of like, but we are that thing from the Bible that you were told about. And it's like, Oh, that's unsettling. So I, I, I really liked how they, how they presented the priest. And I think Jamie Clayton, like it's, it's hard to say stole the movie because it like, wasn't that overshadowed, but anytime she was on screen, 
you were waiting on every word she had to say. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Um, soundtrack, perfect. It pulled from the original score from the first film mm-hmm. and had some great new atmospheric tracks. It did not have mm-hmm. uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> Big missed opportunity. Wow, yeah, wow. Absolutely. The the one the, the hell priest you, did not do a full one eighty. Can you imagine if if like two of the two of the movies in a row had both been like you know what's a good uh, a good theme song for these creepy murderers? Don't fear the reaper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been great if it happened in our third movie too. Oh God! <laughs> I need to I need to make an edit of when someone opens the puzzle box and the the hellscape labyrinth starts opening and the centibites walk through and just see you blowing me a kiss it doesn't there take a go. scientist. Although, <laughs> although Cat, I gotta oh, I gotta when ask the you. Hooks and chains coming. It's just a little. <laughs> I gotta ask you, Cat. Which would be worse though? Don't fear the reaper, which was in Halloween one, or Love Hurts, which was in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Oh, Love Hurts. Come oh, on. <laughs> the answer is Creep by Radiohead from Fear Street. There you go. <laughs> oh, oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I, I just I wanna I want to add a fucking brilliant synopsis, Lee, first of all. Like absolutely great job. Uh I wanted to add um that I thought that uh Odessa Asian, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, or at least somewhat correctly. I thought she did a brilliant job as well. That was yes. uh, the main character, Riley. Uh, I think also the writing on her character was very good. We kind of talked yes. about how, like the 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 squad, the rest of them, uh, kind of didn't really have much in the way of personalities. They were sort of just cannon fodder. Which, yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement that we didn't like that particular change, but. I think we all understand why it happened. It's just kind of like, sure. eh, it's it's less interesting than yeah I, the way it's usually been presented in, in Hellraiser. Um, I definitely want to double down with you on um, on Odessa's performance as Riley yeah. because yeah, um, I, I the viewers, you know, I, I I open the gates to my private life every so often. Um, I talked about it a lot in our Midnight Mass review. Um, yep. I'm very actively involved in the recovery community. I work in detox. Um, I'm a substance abuse counselor. And Odessa's performance of a recovering addict is fucking perfect. It is it is respectfully written by the screenwriter and acted very honestly. Yeah. It's a lot of vulnerability and never pushed into a cartoonish level. Um, someone yes. who is very prone to impulsive actions yes. and then crippling moments of regret. Yes. I, I also think that the, the way she's written is, is very precise because I think with, with a character like this, it can get, it can be very easy to fall into the trap of she just becomes incredibly unlikable, you know, yeah. like I think everybody kind of has, you know, you know, in the, in their real life, people who kind of make the wrong decisions all the time, take advantage of other people um and uh you know just like there there seems to be no getting through to them Mm -hmm. um but i think that even in her even in her moments where she does that and where you're kind of like feeling for you know the like her found family around her um she is still relatable she's still you know like like you're empathetic to what she's going through you understand where she's coming from she's never making a decision just because 
she's a horror movie protagonist and she needs to make the stupidest possible decision to get the horror movie happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it, I think, yeah, she's, she's very, she's very smartly written as, you know, a very complicated character in a very complicated set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, yeah, I, th- I think, I think she, she and the writers pulled that off brilliantly. Absolutely. And I, I, I want to just go into what I was saying a bit earlier too. Of uh, mm-hmm. like, she's fantastic, and I think everybody, everybody gives a very good performance, even if their characters are are a bit underwritten. But of yeah. the supporting oh, of the supporting cast, the character that I liked the most was the boyfriend. Until they're like, "LOL, he's secretly a heel," because he's like yeah. the only yeah. character in like this movie and maybe this franchise who's just like, "No, fuck that, fuck this stupid yeah. box. We need to get the fuck out of here." fuck all of this this is fucked up and it's like i appreciated that as like a fresh change of pace of just someone who's rational like look like look we need to go back to the house no why do we got to go back to the house because that's where the only working car is that's all i'm saying man let's get the fuck out of here it's it's a breath of fresh air from a franchise where most guys in the series are like but what happens if i put my wiener in the box (laughs) yeah yeah and and i i really liked his character until they're just like lol he's 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 evil and when they were like, LOL, he's secretly, like, a goon, I was kind of half expecting the movie to pull, like, a redemption arc sort of shit. Like, maybe he got up and stabbed Voight with the box before succumbing to his injuries or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And Yeah, that's kind of what, well, yeah. And, and instead he's sure. just like, okay, I'm, I know I'm bleeding out, and I know that I could potentially sacrifice the Cenobites instead of a lot, you know, a human or whatever, but... Yeah, I'm just gonna chase after the the one other guy who I've kind of become friends with, uh, who's who's my my girlfriend's uh, dead brother's lover, and it's it just kind of didn't really work for me on on that regard. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, I I think I think the having the brother the brother like the brother's death being her big motivation or at the very well i guess her brother in general right he's the first victim of the puzzle box but also i think he is sort of the motivation behind so there's not really any sort of clarification in the that the movie gives about like what her desire is that opens the puzzle box um and i think that's i think that's good because i think it you know it leaves it open to for interpretation and my interpretation is that it's this desire for, you know, or actually they, the, the boyfriend kind of mentions it, that she is, she is a bad girl who desperately wants to be a good girl. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that sort of manifests in her relationship with her brother, which at the beginning of the movie is strained and then snaps when she falls off the wagon and oh. he just, he just can't, he says he can't do it anymore. And, you know, he chases her out of the house and, but I, I I think that was a really good call. So even though he's not in the movie that much, I think he's probably my favorite of her. Oh of yeah, her yeah. Squad, the, and I, the brother was yeah. great. Like the the argument between yeah. her and him at the start of the film, yeah. like the one yes. where she leaves the house, is yes. really really yeah. good. Oh oh yeah yeah. So Will I I rewatched it recently and Will finally caught up with like and watched it with me and he was just like that was really good acting on the guy's part and i was like yeah, yeah it really yeah. was yeah um, absolutely yeah so uh final thoughts oh, wow um it is okay it's doing that thing of like 
back when we were talking about Prey and I had that internal struggle on whether or not I liked it better than the first Predator. Mm. I don't think I like this one as much as the original Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. It's it's fighting with Hellbound right now for the second spot. Oh, damn. Because I, I had to chew on it more afterwards. Because at the, at the end of the viewing, hit credits, I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. But... I had to I had to digest it a little bit more and, and appreciate that the risks that they took did pay off. Um, so I think I think it was a roll of the dice that absolutely hit. It's a great uh, it's a great movie on its own and it's great in in respect to the source material. Um, I'm hoping that they that they do another sequel just so we can get more of um, Jamie Clayton's Hell Priest. Yeah, yeah I'm. I'm a little torn on that front, uh, just to, as a, to preface my uh, my final th- closing thoughts, um, because while I do, I found her absolutely brilliant and I would love more. I don't. Riley's story is over. I think if they're going to do a, a sequel, it needs to not be. Oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. Hands down. You, just, you can't do Hell just keep You can't do Riley again. Yeah. Just keep just keep the box. Keep keep the Cenobites. But but Riley's story is over and it was satisfying and good and like i don't i don't want her in a sequel right like i yeah she was brilliant but but that is narratively not satisfying to me no absolutely um so my my closing thoughts i think are just uh as far as this whole franchise goes i think this is the first time that i've actually like found the cenobites to be terrifying like just the Again, the costume design, the creature design, it's grotesque and brilliant, and it just needs to, it really just needs to be seen to be believed. It, all of them look and sound and feel just so, like, viscerally horrifying, you know, where you're seeing these, these, you know, mutilations of flesh that are just absolutely glorious. Um, and, uh, yeah, because of that, I think it's I, it's definitely up there for me. I I really enjoyed it. There are definitely stupid moments. There are definitely things with the lore that I thought, I know why you did it. I'm not super happy about it, but I know why you did it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really great fun ride. So, oh yeah, highly recommend for me. Uh, my final thoughts: third best Hellraiser movie needs more rooms. <laughs> Damn. Watch it. Damn. All right. Let's hear the man out. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm just saying, if this movie had Paul Rudd and runes. (laughs) That's true. 10 out of 10. It's a 9 out of 10 right now, but 10 out of 10 with more Paul Rudd. I need a Busta Rhymes Cenobite. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) We have such sights to show you, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Roundhouse kicks fucking... Oh, all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. So. And that's all we've got on this episode of the Goon Cast. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> Lee, I'm coming over to your house right now. Um, um, speaking of farm animals and coming, hey, Kat, why don't you sum up the next film? God damn it. All right. So we've we've spent a lot of time this podcast talking about franchise movies and, you know, basically reboots of long existing franchise movies. So I think it's time to inject some new blood, a a fresh, new, original horror movie from an absolutely brilliant director 
Um, what's a bad miracle, boys? We're talking about Nope. We're talking about the movie I've been demanding people see for like a month straight. <laughs> this, um, this was the equivalent of James trying to get me to watch JoJo. The, yeah, and also James trying to watch get us to watch Kaguya. <laughs> it yeah, absolutely. I was I was on a I was on a crusade. <laughs> I needed so um it's very hard to talk about nope without getting into spoilers. So in brief, I will say I highly recommend this movie. Um The less you know going in the better. Yes. Uh very much it is it is a horror movie. It's Maybe not the kind of horror movie you think it is, um, but it definitely uh, isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but don't let that like, because uh, you know, I've seen I've seen reviews and I've seen that like audience scores are pretty split on it in terms of oh, I thought it was I thought it was something else, and it's it's not. Um, I wouldn't say that it's the best Jordan Peele movie because I do think that Get Out gives everything else a run for its money. Absolutely, like I think that's just. I, I think it's just his masterpiece still. But I will say I think Nope is my favorite of his movies. Um, and I'll get into why. But from here on out, spoilers. Spoilers for Nope. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Yep. I think it's streaming on Peacock now. Uh, if it's not, it will be soon. Pause the episode. Wait. Go watch it. Uh, yeah. it's, it's goon endorsed. It is. It is a fine flick. Yeah. So, all right. Everybody who hasn't seen it is out of here now. So Nope is, it begins as a alien abduction or maybe, you know, hinting at alien invasion movie. Um, but by the end, it is a creature feature. Um, so, yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, we have, again, some absolutely brilliant setups and payoffs from Jordan Peele throughout this whole this whole thing. Um, I would say that the, the, the twist, the twist of the movie is that, um, there is a, you know, to, to summarize very briefly, there's an alien spaceship, um, that's been visiting this area in California. Um, but it's not an alien spaceship. It is an alien creature. It's an alien being, and it's taken this spot to be its feeding ground. And yeah, so, but we start with a, what is a very confusing for most people, opening of a chimpanzee on the set of a like like a like an you know like a laugh track or like an audience uh you know audience laughter uh style sitcom or mm. sing, single camera i think they're called um and he has absolutely like wrecked shop um there's there's a a crying bloody human being lying on the ground nearby uh, you can just hear you can hear noises of destruction and chaos and people screaming. Um, and there is a there's a bloody shoe standing perfectly upright in the middle of the frame. And that's what the movie opens with. And it's a very everyone's like, what the fuck? To the point where I think, James, I think you thought it was still the like monkey's paw uh, production company. Yeah, like, bit, probably. Bit. Probably. Yeah. 
Um, but it is it is a it is a weird opening. Um, and then we cut to um, we meet our our main character OJ, um, absolutely brilliantly played by Daniel Kaluuya again. So um, you know somebody once again uh, a horror director who has an actor that they really like working with, and they just they really do a good job together. Uh, and it's actually it's absolutely brilliant. Um, so OJ is a um, he's a horse trainer. Um, him and he, he works on his, uh, his father, uh, Otis Senior's ranch. Um, and they, they raise and train horses to be used on, um, on films, on, on movie sets. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it, it cuts to them on their, on their farm and, uh, we get a little, a little moment of, of weirdness. There's some, Something strange is happening. Some some bizarre activity. Uh, o- uh, OJ's phone goes on the fritz and then just dies. And then suddenly we hear, uh, you know, a bunch of plunking noises around us. Um, and uh, unfortunately, when this happens, Otis Sr., uh, who's played by Keith David, who I was very yeah. excited to see in this film, he is hit by a uh, a coin, a uh, uh, quarter i believe or a nickel nickel um and he dies so um people are people people say oh there was like a like a prop plane malfunctions like you know dropped a bunch of stuff out of a prop plane and that's that's what happened that's what killed him um so now oj is stuck with this farm basically all by himself um and he uh is kind of desperately still trying to maintain his father's legacy um and uh with him on this um, on this uh on this goal on this journey uh is well i say with him but she's she's maybe not the uh the most reliable to him in this but is his sister uh emerald um Kiki palmer absolutely mm-hmm. fucking amazing in this uh and so they uh you know they 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 bring their horses to to try to like, you know, this is months and months later. They're trying to get on a movie set. Um, and uh the horse panics because OJ can't really like stand up for himself, and Emerald is too busy pitching her own side stuff to help. Um, and they end up, you know, going with somebody else. So uh it's clear that OJ uh is not upholding his father's legacy very well. And in fact, he's actually had to resort to selling a lot of their livestock, selling a lot of their horses to this, like, uh, what would you call it? It's like a theme park kind of thing. It's um, a tourist attraction stage show. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, um, a like, but it's run by, um, Stephen Yuen, whose character is the child actor who was the star of the sitcom where the chimpanzee went crazy and, mutilated a bunch of people mm-hmm. um and so that's where we start to get you know the hint of the like again the the payoff of oh that's what that scene meant in the beginning and also we start to get hints at the big themes of the movie um so um basically uh og and emerald kind of like go back to their ranch and we start seeing a bunch of what appears to be ufo activity um the horses are not doing super well they're they're kind of panicked a little bit um and you know we start seeing hints of 
you know, like a spaceship cresting over the mountains and disappearing into the uh, um, into the clouds. Uh, we see, you know, the the uh, the lights going out, like all the all the electricity going out as as, you know, something is happening. It's all of the makings of a, you know, a, a, a third encounter or a, the, an encounter of the third kind or whatever. Right. It's 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 basically setting it up to have you think this is going to be about aliens. This is going to be about alien abductions. Um, and in fact, that is what one of the main characters thinks. So Stephen Yuen's character, um, as as it turns out, as you, it, it is revealed throughout the movie, has <laughs> um, he has been buying these horses from OJ, not as part of the 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 old west like theme park, um, but to feed them. He's this alien creature. Goddamn thing. <laughs> yes. So he 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 witnessed it at some point, and because he has this sort of like he had this um God, I forget what the chimpanzee's name was uh in the show. Gordy. Gordy. So he had this connection with Gordy, or he had this perceived connection with Gordy, um, where when he was a kid, he was on the set when the chimpanzee went crazy, and he was spared. He was not killed by there. He was not maimed or hurt or injured by the chimp because he hid. And also, I've seen a lot of theories about this online. I don't necessarily know how true it is, but, um, you know, for a lot of animals, direct eye contact is kind of a it's a very aggressive thing for them. So that's a lot of times people tell you that with cats, you don't want to look them directly in the eye because it's like it's a threat, basically. Um, and uh you know, that's also true of chimpanzees. So uh, because Stephen Wynn's character was not able to look him in the eye, whether that's because he had the sort of there was like a plastic sheet over the uh, table that was kind of blocking his eye line. And also that shoe, that bloody shoe that was standing upright. Like, you know, basically distracted him enough that the chimpanzee left him alone and did not did not kill him. But it did approach at the end and he got to witness like firsthand it getting put down by the cops or whomever yeah um but so yeah then uh essentially stephen Wen's character has something of a complex probably because of this event um and specifically you know getting the attention of what he thinks is a ufo he's like oh i'm chosen right like i am able to kind of like like there's something special about me. I've survived these kind of encounters before and like, boy, howdy, I'm going to keep surviving. Um, and yeah, the, he, he's been feeding the horses. He's been, he's been feeding OJ's horses to this creature n- because he wants to put on a show with it. Uh, he's been training this creature to do like an event, an event show. And uh, unfortunately, uh, in one of the most horrifying scenes of the movie, um, they have this like preview day where they're like, hey, we're, we're inviting a bunch of people. We're going to this is going to be our big preview of this new attraction we've got to unveil. Um, and unfortunately, what happened the night before. Was uh, OJ and Emerald, meanwhile, have been trying to, you know, since since they've gotten hints at ufo activity they're like we're gonna catch a ufo we're going to film a ufo 
that's going to be our that's our ticket right like that's how that's how we make our 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 bank like right like we're we can't do the horses thing dad did we're gonna do this we're gonna get on oprah right um so in their antics to try to catch um this you know creature on film um or this ufo on film they manage they they take a uh a big metal horse they steal a big metal horse from the uh uh, uh from Stephen Wen's family's like attraction right so they steal that and they set it out as like bait essentially and it turns out that uh the whole reason that the alien creature has been spitting out metal is because it really doesn't do well with metal it doesn't like metal mm-hmm. um and so it it sucks up this metal horse and that just it's not good. It pisses it off. So the next night, when Stevie Wen tries to have his big, hey, you know, we're everybody like everybody come see this new show. I have I've been talking to these aliens that I call the viewers and, you know, they're going to they're going to, you know, show us like, you know, you'll, you'll be able you'll come away completely ch- changed. And unfortunately, a very, very pissed off alien creature uh doesn't go for the horse that they're offering up, but instead sucks up all the people. And uh, we get a horrifying scene of all of them essentially being digested. And yeah, yeah like like that, that's kind of th- this is kind of where the movie switches gears. If right? you're claustrophobic. Oh, do not be watch careful that scene. with this yeah. one. Yes, yes, that it, it is it yeah, it's going to be it's a very disturbing scene. In, yeah, yeah. In well, that avoid regard. if you're claustrophobic, pursue if you're a vor enthusiast. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we'll get into that. <laughs> so just um, saying. Yeah. So th- this is this is basically the turning point of the movie. This is where we realize, oh my god, it's not aliens, it's some kind of creature, right? And at that point that's when kind of like, you know, that's when it goes into full creature feature. We have, we have OJ who has been raising horses his entire life and he knows animals, right? He's got a sense for this. He's not good at the business side. He's not good at the showman side like his dad was, but he's got a sense for animals. And so basically this kicks off the the next part of the film, which is them still, them trying to get footage of the creature, but they're going at it with like, you know, all of their previous foresight, previous no- or sorry, previous knowledge about you know animal behavior, animal training, mm-hmm. right? Um, so they they yeah they they have this horrifying moment um, after. Uh, by the way, the creature they they eventually start to call him Jean Jacket um, after one of the horses that uh, they trained. Um, which I'll get into later. Uh, so I'll just refer to him as Jean Jacket. So yeah, Jean Jacket is kind of a bit of a dick. And uh, after he eats an entire crowd of like 30 people, he still goes over to the Haywood Ranch to harass M and OJ. <laughs> because because he's like, you got any more metal shit for me? Because <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll show you metal shit. And he basically like, yeah, he he eats all the people while he's hovering above their house and then spits out all of the remains on top of their house. So we get this like 
very cheesy scene of, like, blood dripping down the windows and just, like, you hear all of the, like, the coins dropping, all of the keys dropping, and then they drop a whole fucking uh, wheelchair on the top of the house. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty fucked up. Um, but then, yeah, that's, that's the point where they leave the ranch for a bit, but OJ's just like, I know how to do it now, right? Um, so they managed to, they managed to wrangle up this, um, this guy that was on the set of the, the movie that they, <laughs> they failed to get. Um, his name is Antlers Holst, I believe. Oh, Played by yeah. Michael Wincott, baby! Michael Wincott. He is, he's great. Everyone in this movie is great, by the way. I'm not gonna, uh, like, I will keep saying it, but, like, also just know that all of the acting is fucking brilliant, fucking amazing. I thought he was killed by the French during the filming of Alien Resurrection, but he's still alive, baby. Top dollar from the crow is back, baby, and he's a cinematographer now. <laughs> he sure is. And, um, so he he's also responsible for probably one of the most questionable parts of the movie, but we'll get to that. Yeah, we will. Um, yeah, so so basically they have it's it's M, it's OJ, it's uh <laughs> the guy from uh the the Fry's Electronics who came over to set up all of their cameras. Angel. Angel. He's he's great. I love him. <laughs> but Angel he's is very sweetest much, boy and he must be protected. He is he is the sweetest boy, but he is in so far over his head. The the moment that Jean Jacket is like over the house spitting out all of the blood and guts, and he's under the kitchen table with a knife, and you're just like, oh honey, like <laughs> that's not gonna do shit, but points for trying. Um but uh gosh. So yeah, he is he's a cinematographer and he they basically win him over by saying we're looking for the impossible shot. And he's just like, that's impossible, but I'll fucking do it. And he turns off his copious amounts of documentary footage of animals eating other animals, which yeah. I think is supposed to be a hint at his fate. Or possibly a a hint at his motivation for his fate, mm-hmm. but I don't know. And and I'm just I'm just yeah. So anyway, um, basically with their squadron, we kick off like the the final act of the movie, which is we're we're gonna we're gonna set up a trap for Jean Jacket. We're going to set up a big elaborate scheme to to catch him. Right? They're basically gonna be using. OJ and Lucky the horse as bait um and they're going they have they they take all of these um wacky weaving inflatable arm flailing tube men from uh the now defunct uh theme park or no I, yeah the car park right mm-hmm. um and they set them up all across the ranch so that they can track Jean Jacket's movement because wherever he moves it this this anti you know electronic field follows and which means that wherever he is the wacky waving inflatable arm flying tube man will be dead um so they set they set all this up um they have everybody like positioned at different points uh antlers has a camera that doesn't run on electricity that he's like hand cranking the film for um and they're just like they're set it's basically like it's like the setup to a heist movie where like all of the pe- they're putting all the pieces in place. They're using little monopoly pieces to like mark who's where and who's who. 
Um, and it's just, it's great. And of course, of course it goes off without a hitch. Nothing ever, nothing bad ever happens in the third act of a movie. Um, Never. But no. Um, so first of all, we get TMZ shows up, <laughs> um, which is how we get our motorcycle, which is very important for later. Um, TMZ shows up, end up with an absolutely brutal crash because he's just like, I'm here to catch footage of a UFO and drive straight into the anti-electric field and like breaks every bone in his body and then gets eaten by Jean Jacket. Um, and then, uh, but, you know, after that, they are able to catch footage of him, right? They're able to, they, they, they capture Jean Jacket pursuing, pursuing OJ and the horse. And, and like that part just like goes off without a hitch. And then, and then we have antlers over the radio go, it's about to be golden hour. And there's just this dawning realization on everybody's mind that antlers is about to do something fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think this is kind of the moment that everybody, you know, gets, gets a little bit. Yeah. I, I definitely, I think there's a reason for it. I don't necessarily agree with that reason. But... I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a reason for it. I just, yeah. This is like, I, I, my, my minor, minor spoilers, but like, I, I really like Nope, but this one scene kind of lowers it for me. It's, it's the exact same thing that I have with Scream. The exact yeah. same problem that I have with Scream. Yes. Or I really yes. like both of those movies. Yep, except. Both of these scenes are just there because we want to kill this character. Which is yeah. fine. I just yep. wish the setup for their deaths was more creative and yeah. and and so, more logical. Yes, I I agree. So up until this point, everyone but OJ, well, actually everyone has been incredibly careful not to look at Jean Jacket mm-hmm. because they've they've reasoned that that is what sets him off. That's what that is what triggers Jean Jacket to try to eat you. Um, but. In this moment, Antlers is like, I'm getting the impossible shot. And he leaps up, jumps to the like top of their like where like their little holdout, and starts recording and staring up at the sky where Jean Jacket is, and Jean Jacket's just like, Oh, okay. We're doing this now, huh? And that's when everything basically goes to shit. So yeah, he, I'm I'm of the belief that all of the film that he's watching throughout the movie is of like you know, yes. animals killing each other. And like he, it's never like stated, I don't know. I, I don't need it like spoon fed to me, but it's never no. really stated clearly enough that he's he's possibly in love with the idea of like capturing something's final moments on film. That That is that is kind of, I, I made a joke that like, maybe he's just really into Vor. <laughs> and yeah. maybe that's, maybe he's just like, the impossible shot is me getting eaten. <laughs> I, I think to him, the impossible shot is, is like, is getting something's last moments yeah. of life on film. And like his big goal in his head was, I want to film my own demise being mm-hmm. devoured by something. It's, yeah. It's fucking out there, but it's yeah. it's I, all we can work that, with. That's right? the thing. That's the thing. Similar to to my feelings on Hellraiser, I don't I don't need the reason. I like that it's open for interpretation. I just I ultimately feel like from a from a you know narrative standpoint, it's it's it is the trope of 
a character does something stupid and gets themselves killed kind yes. of thing. And, it, it, you know, I, I think there might have been a more elegant way to get to the same sort of like all hell breaks loose moment, right? Top dollar deserved better. Yes. Justice, <laughs> yes. justice for top dollar. God damn it. It's Devil's but, Night. <laughs> but, Fire it up! Fire it up! Fire it up! Fire it up! Oh my god. <laughs> Listen, but, I, we, we gotta show you the crow at some point, Kat. Because I think you oh, said you haven't seen Oh, I thought you said you hadn't seen it. Well, I, okay, I've seen it on TV. Anyway, anyway. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that later. I gotta finish my my dissertation on Nope. So so um so at this point, uh, it kind of becomes like a big kind of like we just have to manage the situation, right? Like we like if we're not careful, all of us could die. Everyone starts basically like trying to look up at Jean Jacket just to get him to go away from somebody else, right? Angel almost gets eaten because he's right there next to uh uh. Uh, antlers because that's that was where they were supposed to be positioned together right uh m almost gets eaten because you know she ends up running outside and seeing him and being like oh shit you know like that sort of thing um so essentially now they're trying to just like manage this creature right that they you know essentially they've sort of set loose on themselves uh and um yeah like they're they're barely ever to able, able to make it. And this is this is also where um so <coughs> I've seen some some other people talk about like what happens in this moment because uh essentially Jean Jacket sort of changes form. He becomes a much bigger more like balloon-like structure at some point. Absolutely brilliant like amazing creature design, just gorgeous. He um, becomes a kite. Yes, he becomes a kite essentially. And I've seen some people say that this was this was done because that is how like that is how um to get people to look at him when they're not looking at him right and i'm like i actually i i like that analysis i think that i think that's really good i think it fits with the film but i i have a different take okay. um which i also think fits with the film because um the whole film i i think one of the major themes of the film has been mistreatment or the the spectacle we make of like our fellow living inhabitants on this planet, right? Mm. The, the, the abuse of, of human, of creatures by humans, right? Um, it, it is, it is, you know, the, the Gordy, uh, the Gordy flashbacks are a very clear, like representation of that, right? It's like mm -hmm. this, this is an animal that, that it's a show animal, right? That panics and then, you know, does what it, you know, what it naturally would do, but because we've taken it out of its habitat and we've manipulated it, um, that, that natural freak out of, you know, something scaring it becomes detrimental to people and therefore that animal must die, right? Um, we've seen it countless times with, with animals in zoos or- People um, mad at the tiger for the Siegfried and Roy incident. Yeah, exactly. As Chris Rock famously said, the tiger didn't go crazy. The tiger went tiger. Yeah, yeah. The yes, that's that's a really good example. I um I personally also think back on um Tilikum, who was the uh SeaWorld's most infamous uh killer whale, um mm. who who famously uh drowned one of his trainers. Um yep. actually, I think he killed multiple trainers, but I think the most famous was he he drowned her. Um right? So uh, but so, yeah, I think I think one of the main themes of this movie is sort of 
I mean, it's spectacle and it's also just, you know, the exploitation of of animals. Um, and I think to that theme, Jean Jacket is very much an animal. And I think in this moment, while, you know, I think it's brilliant that the movie doesn't spell it out for us because we cannot ever really understand how a creature would react or, you know, interact with the situation, particularly one of like an alien mind, right? Like a completely alien disposition. Um, but this is the first time that we've seen in this film that Jean Jacket has actually had some sort of like resistance to what it's trying to do, right? A resistance to its hunt. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, these creatures that, that, like, these tiny little things that it's just been eating willy-nilly are, like, fighting back and, like, you know, actually being a threat to him. So I think that the kite display, the, or, well, the kite form, rather, the enlarging of himself is a threat display. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's the, you know, uh, uh, a, a creature having eyes on the back of its, you know, on the back of its head so that you know not to sneak up on it, right? Or it's having a, the colors of, like, poisonous flora. Ig- exactly, exactly. It is a, I'm bigger now, I'm scarier, be fucking scared of me. You are Come my prey. Me, yeah, yeah. So, and in this moment, this is when um, we have this, this, you know, very, very nice touching scene. M. Uh, is a motorcyclist, so she knows her way around motorcycles, and she she does manage to get uh, get to the TMZ guy's motorcycle. Um, and uh, you know, OJ OJ is uh, is still on on Lucky. He's got Lucky, and basically they have sort of a standoff where OJ is really trying to get M to leave to like save herself, and she's not. She doesn't want to leave him, right? Um, but so they have this sort of like back and forth tug of war where they they sort of like switch off who's staring at 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 Jean Jacket, right? Like who's getting him to pay attention to them? Um, and yeah, it's it's it, it's a beautiful, beautiful shots, beautiful score. And it's just like it's this perfect like big brother says. I'm staying, you're going right like and it's it's brilliant. So OJ is able to distract Jean jacket enough. We're not sure what happens to him, but M is able to get away. But she's not making a run for it. She's making a run back to the uh, the theme park ranch because earlier in the film uh, we set up there is a well. There is a well with a camera at the bottom where you you put in some money and you crank it and you get a photo. So she is. Still gunning for that photo. Such um, a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yeah. So so she she takes the bike. She Akira slides into the fucking uh Fuck yeah, fucking she does. Yeah. It's fucking it's fucking great. Um and then yeah, she's able to basically like lure him all the way there and she releases a uh, a balloon, like uh, you know, basically little uh I forget what um what uh uh It was shaped like Steven Yun. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was his, it was his, uh, like, he had another sitcom character that was, like, a little, uh, uh, like, a boy sheriff or something like that. So it was, it was shaped like that's character. It's, like, his, his park, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Jupe. Jupe. Yeah, Jupe. Yes. Jupe's Claim is the, um, uh, the name of the ranch. 
I got it. I got there. Uh, but so, <laughs> yeah, she releases that balloon above the uh, the well, and then she's just she's just waiting, basically. And like brilliantly, she's able to get that perfect shot um, as you know, as Jean Jacket kind of goes in for the kill on the balloon. And uh, um, after he does so, uh, basically, we've gotten some insight into his anatomy in that we've had shots from from inside of him while he's digesting his food. Um, and uh, turns out he doesn't do balloons so good either. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, while he's trying to, to ingest this this new food, uh, it explodes and kills him um so once again tying back to gordy's fate tying back to you know that kind of animal's fate very very fitting but you know kind of tragic end um but our heroes make it emma's emma's still alive a bunch of news people show up they're all like what the fuck is that in the sky and like the final shot of the movie is OJ is there riding lucky still alive at the uh you know at the at the end of the uh, um or at the at the entrance to the to the park so they were they they made it basically they did it they got their they got their impossible shot they you know saved each other and that's it and it's kind of this like really it's it's a happy ending cuz you're Really, like I was pulling for him the whole time, and I'm I was so glad to see him on that horse at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it you know it bittersweet in that I think thematically it has a, a very you know a, a sad ending, and that you know Jean Jacket never asked for this. Jean Jacket deserved better. Um, mm-hmm. But but I think just a really satisfying movie. Um, and the other thing I wanted to um, to kind of like mention and to harp on is I think that uh I've seen a lot of criticism about this movie and it's criticism I don't agree with and it's criticism that like you know we always say on this podcast that I think people are allowed to have their opinions on stuff you know like totally I'm I'm not going to dictate how people watch things or what people enjoy if you liked fear street good for you you know if you if you really loved halloween ends and we were kind of mad on it like we're glad you enjoyed it right um but some of the criticism that i see about this movie just makes me go did we even watch the same movie because i see criticism where people are like well, OJ was a terrible protagonist. The acting on him was terrible, or the you know Daniel Kaluuya's acting was bad because he just seemed bored and like he didn't want to be there the whole time. And I'm just like, did what? <laughs> He's got post traumatic stress disorder from watching his father get killed. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's honestly there was not a moment in this film where I didn't know what OJ was thinking. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a very understated performance. I think he's a very like he's a very understated character, right? He's a quiet guy. He spent his whole life on a ranch, basically just with his fa- like family nearby, yeah. right? He's just like he's a very withdrawn person. But every time you see him on screen, he might not be talking, but you know what the fuck he's thinking, right? And Emerald is the opposite. She's exactly. always talking, but like but but you know, she also has so many things 
like that she's that have, are gnawing her inside. The the whole reason they named Jean Jacket Jean Jacket is because that was supposed to be her horse to train, and it got taken away from her at the last moment because she and her dad weren't really on the best of terms, and that's something that like you know she's clearly still coming to terms with in the movie. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Anyway, um. And I think I think also I've seen people being like, oh, it wasn't scary or like, you know, like it, it it didn't it wasn't as deep as us or get out. And it's like. Did you. Did you watch it, though? <laughs> because. I... Yeah, I'm like, I'm like the, the themes aren't surface level, but they are there, you know, and it's it's definitely not as metaphorical as us, but. It's got its metaphors. <laughs> think that um i think that there's been a certain level of expectation now when it comes to jordan peele's movies mm-hmm. because he did make such a strong debut yes and you know regardless of people's opinions on us it was as a movie a a good follow-up you know yeah. it's a good sophomore performance it's mm-hmm. it's not as good as get out in my opinion but no it, I, it's a yeah. fine a fine have- film I have my issues with it, but like it still very clearly showcases his abilities. Uh, like he's a he's an absolutely brilliant. I think he's like like you said, John Carpenter is probably the best uh, horror director of all time. But I think Jordan Peele is probably in modern times giving him a run for it, starting to give him a run for his money. In my opinion, you know, yeah. on on um, on that note, I, I I can't remember if I mentioned it to you too, but I thought it was like one of the cutest things. Um. Somebody tweeted at Jordan Peele and was like, oh, Jordan Peele, you're the best horror movie director of all time. And then Jordan uh, Peele retweeted. It's like, uh, excuse me, have you heard of John Carpenter? Because I'm oh. not John Carpenter. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, yeah, good, good, good. I mean, good. be humble, but yes. Yeah. Also, yeah. I, like, I think, I, I still think he's brilliant. I think he's, oh, yeah, no, he's a very talented legit director. Up there. Yeah. I, I think part of the issue kind of also stems from at least to an extent what what happened almost with Tarantino early in his career to an extent where it's like after I mean, granted pulp fiction was his sophomore film but like after he made pulp fiction everybody was kind of expecting his next film to be like another pulp fiction yeah. and instead he made yeah. Jackie Brown and yeah. for me personally Jackie Brown is actually my my favorite Tarantino movie i mm-hmm. i think it's fantastic but I can see how, like, if you're going into Jackie Brown expecting Pulp Fiction, or if you're going into Nope expecting it to be as as uh, topical or politically charged as as Get Out or Us, that might be a bit disappointing. But per- mm-hmm. personally, I think Nope is a far more... I, I would probably say Get Out is a better made movie, but I think Nope is a far more entertaining and fun movie. At least yes, for me, I, anyway. I yes. I have developed a theory as mm-hmm. to why Cat likes this movie so much. <laughs> oh, okay. I want to hear so it because I, I actually like, do have an answer too. I mm. would like to break down in in vague ter- in uh, uh, I should say broad terms the mm-hmm. brush strokes of this movie's structure. Um, series of odd events that we want explanations for and will not get for a long time a good chunk of time dedicated to knowing our cast of characters and getting to know their lives, ins and outs and quirks. A research phase involving setting up cameras and recruiting and interviewing specialists. 
and then a sustained slow burn until a dramatic, climactic, crazy act three. Nope is a found footage movie. You know, you know, it really, yeah, that's a, that's a great analysis. Cause it, it, it does have the like, same beats. It's got the, it's got the bones of it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, so for me, I, yeah, I think that's, I, that's a, you, you got me. Um, but also I, it's no Chernobyl diaries, but I mean, <laughs> well, so, but also I, um, you know, I, I grew up, uh, I grew, I, I was a horse girl growing up. I loved, I loved riding. So, uh, seeing, seeing a film kind of centered around, you know, one, not only just horses, but also a very, so, um, part of the, uh, part of the lore of this is that, uh, Emerald and OJ are related to the jockey that was riding the horse in the very famous, uh, original, like, Moybridge photos, mm-hmm. right? Or Moybridge footage, rather. Um, so, uh, so that, like, you know, Moybridge is always kind of, like, the first thing that you're taught if you do anything related to film. So I, I, I have an animation degree, and so, like, it's, it's, like, a- the animation nerd in me was happy, the horse girl nerd in me was happy, um, I also have kind of a history with like alien abduction. So, like it was the it was the the thing I was scared of when I was a kid. So I really like those stories because they're kind of like one of the only horror things that still can kind of like get under my skin at a really primal level. Um, so yeah, and then I obviously have like a huge affinity for like animal intelligence and like yeah, creatures, creature features. So that. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I think I think this movie was kind of, like, tailor-made for me in that regard. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, I'm always a little bit hesitant to to uh, recommend it to people that highly. Mm-hmm. But I do still think it's a brilliant movie. And it's it's fun. It's definitely, like, a little more lighthearted in terms of, like, his usual fare. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, there's still a lot of grotesqueness there's still it's still horror but it's a little bit more of that sort of like it's a little campier it's a little more like lighter kind of thing right um i oh i also want to mention how again how many moments of setup and payoff there are and how many like subtle little things that jordan peele adds you know like is a master of breadcrumbs Yes, absolutely. So like one of my one of my favorite scenes and one of my or one of my favorite bits um is uh when they're on the movie set and uh and um you know o- OJ kind of starts this but then Emerald kind of like takes up the torch and 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 finishes it off. Um they have this little spiel about oh, like yeah. who they are and what they do. They're like we're Haywood Ranch like you know like ever since pictures could move we had skin in the game. Um while she's going through that like whole spiel, um, there's a moment where you know she talks about she talked about the 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 rider, the jockey in the Moybridge footage, um, and she calls him her great 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 grandfather. And when she, like when she does, uh, OJ kind of pipes up and interrupts, and he says, "Great." And she goes, "Oh, there's another great." Um, and it's just it's a very it's a very like quick little throwaway moment. Um, but later in the movie, uh, we see footage we see we see a commercial i think that their dad shot and the spiel that emerald gave at the beginning was exactly their dad's spiel 
So the reason she got it wrong, the reason she missed a great, was because it wasn't her words. It was her dad's. Yep. And it's just one of those, like, it's such a tiny little thing, and it works. It, it, it gives you so much insight into... Oh. ...and the history of those characters. Uh, Kat, you cut out there for a second. Uh, so much, oh, and then... Shit. Yeah, just start oh, from so okay. much. Okay, so, yeah. It gives you so much insight into, like, the dynamics and relationships and histories of these characters mm-hmm. that it's just, like... You know, I mean, again, I could gush for hours, but it's just there's so many little little things if you pay attention to this movie that that Jordan Peele just rewards you with where you get so much richer of an experience. If you just if you just pay attention, if you just watch. Um, And yeah, I mean, to the point where, you know, I've seen this movie four times now, I think. Um, And even on the fourth watching, I found something new. To, to, like, be like, oh, I didn't notice that before. Yeah, you know? Kat, like, you have like, a problem. No. It's an addiction at this point. Yes, I do. It's, that's, it's, that's the theme. Your, your addiction, so your addiction from <laughs> yeah. Hellraiser is, is re-watching Nope. Yes, yes, I will. Kat, I will please. Smash. You can't open the puzzle box just because you watch Nope too much. <laughs> my, my desire to watch Nope again is what gets, it was what gets everyone around me killed. So, yeah, that, that's the, your wish the from clouds, Leviathan. The clouds, yeah, the clouds darken and the hell priest tilts her head back and goes, the god Leviathan appears. And then it's Jean Jacket lowering down from the heavens. Yeah, and and she's just like what and again? She's like, oh, <laughs> damn it, Cat! <laughs> <Can't>, come on! <laughs> I'm just like I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't help myself. Can't help myself. Oh man! So um, yeah, uh, I've I've gone a little bit over. I'm sorry, but uh, I had a lot to say about this movie. You've, you've had that you've had that boiling up for for a month and a half or so. I think you were due. It's uh-huh, all good. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everybody. Do do you, what are what are y'all's final thoughts on? No? Uh, I adore the slow burn. Um, I I love his storytelling style. Mm-hmm. I think it's um it's a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. to have his kind of pacing and story structure in in horror mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely fantastic creature concept. Yep. Um, the reveal that it's not hiding behind a cloud, like it is a cloud, <laughs> and then goes through these transformations to then finally turn into like an Eldrazi from Magic the Gathering. Like it's <laughs> it's a fucking like bed sheet from hell. It's, yeah. it's such fantastic creature design. Um. Every every nugget that is sprinkled out throughout the first two acts has a payoff in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's one of those names these days that you can just bank on. Yeah, you know the trailers don't even need to really tell you much about the movie, and the trailer for Nope didn't really tell you much about it. It it told you it's probably going to be uh, an alien abduction story, and that's about all it gave you to work with. And then you watch the movie and go like, holy shit, I didn't know the half of it. Um, I I think he's solidified himself as one of the, the trustworthy names in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, haven't been let down by one yet. So, yeah, I, I very much enjoyed Note. Excellent. Lee, or James? <laughs> yes, hi, my name is James. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Needs more runes. <laughs> very good. 
Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, so watch Nope, everybody. Give Jordan Peele all the money so we can make another one. <laughs> and if anybody in Hollywood is listening, stick more runes in your movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We um, need more Celtic runes. <laughs> do do we want to do a, uh, a, a brief sort of like what we've been up to otherwise? Yeah, sure. Brief, uh, brief little checkout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have like, I have like one thing I want to talk about, but uh, who wants to go first? Lee, Lee, what you got? Tap, tap, not it. All right, I'll bite. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I am currently playing through Stray. <gasps> Ooh, how, how? Okay, how? Mm, I don't know if I can I ask am, you how I far am, you are. I am not far enough in it that I want to say too much about it. Um, okay, fair enough. I will I will say it is incredibly charming. Yeah. yeah. Um and I know it's a relatively short playthrough, so I yes. should have deeper opinions on it quite soon. I'm enjoying it so far. Excellent. Um and I did let's see. Uh ah, yes, I did a, a full playthrough of Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Ooh. Which is always wow. a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to uh, got to see my boy Armstrong for a little bit. <laughs> um, other than that, uh, I mean, it hasn't been that exciting of a time, unless you're somebody like me who is in their early thirties and still wears eyeliner and grew up in the age of Hot Topic and MySpace. I fucking saw the return show of My Chemical Romance, oh, and it was so hell good. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> they played five sold out nights at the forum. Uh, and in a brilliant move, uh, MCR decided to theme each night. So the first four nights were tributes uh, to their first uh, to their four records. So I was there for night four. So I got to have a complete Danger Days uh, set, which was fantastic. Um, it. It is one of those moments that for my little dark emo heart from my teenage years uh, was was it was just beautiful. You know, I I I grew up listening to this band, um, had kind of like a cool resurgence with them in my late 20s. Um, and, you know, it's one of those one of those situations where you tell yourself, you know, what, I'm going to hold it together. I'm a grown ass man. I'm going to I'm going to keep my shit together. And then like it hits the chorus of their first song, The Foundations of Decay. And I turn into a crying mess, just like, oh, it's your art. I love you. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> Brilliant. So, I'm, yeah, I'm so, so that's glad. what I've been up to. Excellent. Uh, Jamie, you want me to go before? Yeah, yeah, you go. Out? Yeah, okay. you go. Um, so, uh, I've been doing a lot of, like, TTRPGs, um, so that's been, like, most of my time, um, but I have also picked up, I started a campaign, a co-op campaign with a couple friends of mine for, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. Oh, God. I don't know if y'all know that one. Oh, I know it. So, yeah. Charles told me a bit about it, yeah. Yeah, I played through, um... I played through Baldur's Gate 3, at least like all of the content that's currently available with um, a buddy of mine who were, were the ones pl- were 
he's also in the group that's playing this uh, um, Divinity Original Sin. It's funny how much overlap there is. Like, there's a lot of, you know, it's not... Uh, Divinity doesn't use 5e as its basis. It's it's like kind of its own thing. Um, but there's still a lot of like, oh, I recognize this plot point from Baldur's Gate. Oh, I recognize this other thing from Bal-. like it's just like, oh, it's clearly like the same writers doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's still a fun time. It's been it's been good. Um, yeah, and Fane is best boy. Oh yes, I love Fane. We actually just sorry, I won't. So we're very early in the game. I think we're only like level four. Okay. Um, but, uh, we just picked him up and like, we immediately ditched the other person because we were like, oh my God, <laughs> he can go into like death fog and like heal with poison. We'll never go down in a fight again. <laughs> it was just like, cause one of, one of my, one of my buddies has a, he's, he's doing like poison and fire build. So mm-hmm. he keeps, he keeps like hitting us with his AOEs and poisoning us. And we're just like, oh my God, we're just going to put Fane right next to you the whole time. And that's like, and it's worked brilliantly <laughs> yeah Fane, and i love it fane will get work done yeah fane is fane is pretty awesome but um yeah so i've i've really enjoyed that and then um the other thing i played very recently which i'm not sure entirely how much i can talk about mm. um but i got i got a an early like well no i mean because it's 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 basically officially out i played the new modern warfare 2 um modern oh. warfare 2 2 Modern Warfare 2-2, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I... The original Modern Warfare franchise, which I kind of haven't really, like... <laughs> I haven't really dissected this part of me <laughs> until now. Apparently it holds a very, very special place in my heart. <laughs> I didn't know how much I cared. You I love that. You, cared. You love our soapy I, boy. I love our soapy boy. I love the one for one I'm just like... There's something about that original franchise that is so, like, you know, like, for all of the problematicness of of Call of Duties and for definitely all of the, you know, like, like, there's just something about that original franchise that's just, like, so bombastic and fun and just brings me back to, like, a simpler time when, like, you know, I wasn't concerned about being good at video games or anything. I just popped on the the single player campaign and just you know shot a bunch of people right it's just like they are they are simple and they work and that's all like and they just go insane like at the like the halfway point you're nuking fucking space and it's just yeah it's wonderful but so this one is kind of a much more grounded take um it has some very cool levels Actually, one of the one of the really fun things to see was that um, there's a level that was pretty clearly inspired by The Last of Us Part Two specifically, mm. um, because there's a it's basically a stealth ish section where you don't have a gun and you're trying to like get around a squadron with a ton of guns and you're crafting and you're trying to get like you know scraps of metal to like make shivs to open doors to do like blah 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 and then on top of that when you take out enemies they uh their friends call called the dead people by name which is something i've only ever seen in one other game and that was last of us part 2 mm-hmm. so it was really cool to see like that influence i was like huh that's that's really cool. I like that. Like, that's nice. You know, I killed I killed a Quentin and a Mark and a a, a, a Chris and a Matt. 
was it was fun. It was great. Um, and then, without getting into too many spoilers, uh, bigger fish, baby. <laughs> That's all I'll say on that. <laughs> okay. All right. As for uh, as for me, uh, I only really want to. Like, I've mostly just been doing, you know, the streaming back to ghoul shit, um, but there are three brief things I want to rapid-fire talk about. One is actually not a video game. Uh, it's a movie I watched semi-recently, uh, Bullet Train, which is an action-comedy oh. film with uh, Brad Pitt and an ensemble cast. Uh, yeah, oh, it, right. It's, 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 a fun, it's a fun little movie, and I really appreciate the fact that uh, it's a modern-day action movie that doesn't try to emulate like the John Wick style. It really takes advantage mm. of the close quarters. Like the fight scenes in this movie really take advantage of the fact that it's in close quarters, uh, uh, trapped in a train sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's got some pacing issues and some, some, some elements that didn't quite click, but overall it's, it was a fun, good time. Uh, you know, is, uh, is Hiroyuki Sonata in that one? Yes, yes, he's a major character if I if I remember Hell correctly. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. Michael Shannon's the big bad. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson is oh. really fucking good in it. Um, oh fuck, that's awesome. Good yeah, cast. it's 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 yeah. a very it's a very oh and what's her face from fucking Wish Upon? She's in the yes. movie and she's pretty great in it too. Yes. Um, oh, cool. the puzzle I, actually, box. I had no idea Michael Shannon was in that or yeah. um or what's or the other guy you mentioned? Aaron, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he plays um he, he plays part of a sort of almost a comedy hitman duo. Um excellent. And and they 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 work so well together. Hold on, I'm bringing up the, the wish, wish one girl is yeah, Joey King. Joey yeah, Joey King, King yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here we go. We got um Great Aaron Taylor Johnson as uh Tangerine uh and then his his brother is played by by Brian uh Tyree Henry. Who we saw in Godzilla vs Kong? He was that conspiracy theorist guy. He plays oh. Lemon. Oh, Bad Bunny's in this? What the? Fuck? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, Sandra Bullock uh, is in the movie as well. It's it's pretty Weird. fun. Yeah, okay. it's 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 a very quirky little action action movie. Like for example, uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry's character is obsessed with Thomas the Tank Engine, and he like compares people to the characters of Thomas the Tank Engine, and that's how Brilliant. like he'll base his assumption on which character Thomas the Tank Engine he he thinks best represents them. It's a cute little character trait, doesn't really get in the way, and it actually has a little bit of payoff at the end of the movie. Um, Brad Pitt is is pretty great and pretty charming in the movie as, as Ladybug, the main character. Um, Joey King is is fantastic. Uh, Hiroyuki Sonata is, is fantastic as fucking always. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, the next thing I want to just briefly mention is I did a playthrough of The Mortuary Assistant, and it's a new-ish horror game that is really, really fucking good. It's very, very spooky, very atmospheric. It does have some jump scares and whatnot, which, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of jump scares, but I think they're well executed. Each playthrough is semi-randomized, and basically the idea is, um... You're working a night shift at a mortuary. You have three corpses that you need to embalm, but one of the corpses is possessed by a demon, and they're doing, like, supernatural shenanigans and shit like that. So on top oh, of the man. whole embalming process, you need to figure out which demon is possessing the corpse and what, are the what, what mark you need to burn with that corpse in order to exercise the demon. 
Uh, and it's it's a really neat little fun game. There's five different endings based off of some of them, I believe, are tied to New Game Plus, but ba- it's based kind of on like how you you uh, so it's, play through it. It's it's kind of like Autopsy of Jane Doe meets yes. Phasmo, basically. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's, it's, that's really cool. <laughs> it's single player only. Um, it also ties into the whole subject of uh, addiction recovery as well. That's actually a big plot mm-hmm. point in the game Groovy. with the main character. Cool. Uh, overall, it was a, a neat little fun experience, and uh, I want to get around to playing more of it soon since there are uh, multiple endings and whatnot. I just need to find the time since my list is is pretty pretty long mm-hmm. uh, and the last thing i want to briefly mention is night at the gates of hell which is a new game by black eyed priest games produced by puppet combo uh oh, no. I, th- I, th- I think i mentioned it's earlier your boys uh, it's a first person retro throwback to like um like zombie games and and kind of Resident Evil esque and whatnot, um, and I think I mentioned earlier in the year because everybody kept recommending Nightmare of Decay to me, and uh, that game was kind of underwhelming for me because it it tried too hard to reference old school Resident Evil, like it it had a neat unique concept, but like and like there were some homages that were kind of cool, but when they they started being like. Oh, here's a reference to James Sunderland from Silent Hill. Here's a reference to Resident Evil 4 Cultists. Here's literally the exact same keys from Resident Evil 2. It, it just was very distracting to me from like, it, it's, it's just like, oh, this is just, it's constantly winking at the audience. It's like, hey, you get this reference, you get this reference, you get this reference. Whereas Night of the Gates at Hell is entirely its own unique thing. And it also is it be, in traditional puppet combo style. Uh, is kind of a tribute to, like, exploitation films, in this case, Italian zombie movies. But one of the unique things about this particular game is this is the only zombie game I have played where the only way to kill a zombie is with a headshot. So on top of, like, ammo management, and there's a fuck ton of zombies in this game, too, you have to accurately aim and hit them in the head to take them down. And depending on how how skilled you are at aiming, that kind of dictates a bulk of the difficulty. Um, if you get lucky and you get headshot after headshot, you're not going to be too too strung up for difficulty. Uh, but overall, it was a it was a fun little game. Uh, very very charming. They they went all out too. Like um, the Black Eyed Priest games, I, I think there's like seventy some odd, maybe more unique zombie models in the game, which is insane for a fucking indie horror game, right? Like. Fucking even mainstream horror games, I think in Resident Evil 2, there's like maybe Resident Evil 2 Remake, there's like 10 at most unique zombie models. Whereas right. this, it's like there's 70 plus. So it's Damn. it's very rare that you run across the same one. And it also comes bundled with uh, two little sort of mini games, one of which is uh, Evil in the House of Dr. Frankenflesh or Fleshenstein or something like that, which is kind of almost a throwback to Call of Duty Nazi Zombies. It's like this wave-based horde mode thing, which is pretty cool, although it ha- does have a definitive ending when you unlock enough points to to get to the center of the house or whatever. Uh, I, I do want to go back and finish that uh, as well. But uh, the bigger the bigger one is that uh, when you beat the game, you get the Booty Creek Cheek Freak, baby! Yeah! 
God. God damn it. So it's like, you know, we deserve. You, 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 you can finally play Booty Creek Chic Freak via Steam uh, as its own thing. You just have to buy Knights of the Gates of Hell. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, nice. it's a really, it's, it's a really good little horror game. That's like a throwback to, cause like, I like puppet combo games, but a fair amount of them can be missed for me. Like, especially ones that are more like jump scare heavy. Like I, I lucked out where the first puppet combo game I played was murder house and I fucking love murder house. And I just yeah. really want to recapture that murder house feeling again. And nights night at the gates of hell is probably the best puppet combo produced game i have played since Mur- i nice. played murder house and i played a handful of puppet combo games i mean uh, well i mean uh, besides booty creek cheek freak because that game is it's short it's sweet it's to the point it's a 30 minute shit post and it's 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 mwah, chef's kiss but yeah that's that's basically about it outside of just you know going through other horror games on on the twitch channel like the Fatal Frames and the new Faz update and all sorts of other spooky shit. Yeah, it's, it's fun. And Resident Evil 6. Yeah, yeah, we gotta get back to going through it with Ghoul Guts and, and also going through it with Cat. But oh. yeah, it's better It's better than oh, Revelations. Boy. Better oh, than Resident boy. Evil Revelations. Oh boy. <laughs> Which we still need to do. Well, or no, wait, is it two? Res, rev, Revelations. Is it Revelations 2 that has the co op? Yeah, but that's local co op only. I, I started I started in single player today, and that's also the one where the local co-op is kind of shit. Um, oh. oh. Because the second playable character is effectively a, a glorified um, puzzle assistance and or flashlight no. and or point out items. No. Like, I- imagine, oh. imagine, the best way I can describe it is, because I played the fir- about five hours of it today. Because this is my mm-hmm. first time really diving and sinking my teeth into it. Um, picture The Last of Us when Ellie doesn't have a weapon, like the first, the first Last of Us, mm-hmm. and the second playable character is Ellie. <laughs> is Ellie? Oh, so you no. have you, the second playable character literally doesn't have much to do outside of running around and, oh and pointing out items and enemies, and that's 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 basically it. Wow. So it's it's. That's... The co-op is, and it's since it's local only. It's, that sounds like um, what was the David Cage? <laughs> Beyond the, Two Souls with Elliot Page. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The, that sounds like the where they're like, "Ooh, co-op," and then the co-op was like, "You're a ghost hand that can do like, yeah, like an eighth of what Elliot Page can do," and you're just like, "Come on." <laughs> yeah, it's it's very. It, I can already see that it's going to be fairly fucking underwhelming in co-op, or at least for the co-op partner because they can't do any combat hey, or shit I'm, like that. I'm I'm still down. Listen, oh, if, I will. Still, if I can still troll you, I'm fine. <laughs> you, you, you probably can. Uh, like the only oh, way we'll, to we'll find a way. Uh, the, I'll the, find a method. The only way I can see this being d- possible via like online is with Parsec or SharePlay, and both of those were are like not the most ideal wet methods for 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 doing yeah. multiplayer. Yeah, but, maybe we'll figure out a way. Maybe there's some. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely. I'm definitely down for going through it again at some point in the future and call up with you, Cat. It's already five mm-hmm. hours in. It's better than fucking Revelations One, which I fucking mm-hmm. could okay. not stand. Like it's it's mm-hmm. not great. There's a mm-hmm. lot of jank and stupid shit, but mm-hmm. it does have one of my new favorite terrible lines in the Resident Evil franchise, and I can't believe that this is a line in a 2015 video game. What is it? Terra save because not every. Because every word that ends with terror doesn't have to end with a wrist. 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh. And the voice actor is doing his best to say it unironically without breaking into laughter, and I love him for it. I don't know oh who the voice God. actor is, but, but kudos for you for reading such a stupid fucking line and keeping a straight face. That's, yeah. Uh, dreadful. Wow. But hey, it's, it's the fun kind of dreadful. Unlike, <laughs> unlike Revelations 1 or... Uh, uh, the Resident Evil Netflix, where it's like, oh, I, I watch Zootopia porn. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I will take dumb, cheesy, stupid fucking lines than, than just trying to be hip and edgy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. You did all this to be immortal. <laughs> Why? So I could live forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 yep. even a, uh, uh, Fucking Countdown Vampires, that piece of shit uh, game that, that I went through this year. Uh, the voice acting in that game is, like, top tier. And it has one of my favorite bad lines in the history of bad lines. It's like, before you die, I'm gonna tell you a secret. Just to make it so you really don't want to die. And it's... I, I, I just... It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. I love it. I, 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 I adore... Terrible voice acting with terrible, terrible, badly written dialogue. It's it's why Resident Evil One oh on PS One will will be forever amazing for me. Uh, of course, of course. Chris. Oh man. Stop it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not used to escorting men. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, on that note, all right, folks. All right, you Jill sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, who are we? What are we? Why are uh, we? We are runes. <laughs> well, this has been your boy, Lee Alder, the Valley Jester. Um, I am currently not streaming on Twitch uh, because I'm one of those fucking uh, career people. And it's it's great. I would do nothing different with my life. Um, yeah, just uh, thank you for spending your Halloween with us. And I wish you a very Ooh. spooky season. Spooky scary. Yes, uh, I am once again Cat, aka the Attack Cat. Uh, also, not really streaming on Twitch too much. Uh, I think I did. Uh, I did something fairly recently, or decently recently. But uh, I am planning to at some point get back into it. I definitely want to stream uh, the new Sherlock Holmes next year when it comes out. Yes. But uh, yeah, other than other than that, I don't have. T- too many plans just yet um i might i i will be checking out scorn soon um but i gotta be in the right headspace for that i feel very curious to talk scorn with you yeah yeah maybe maybe i'll try streaming that but who knows we'll see but uh yeah it's 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 your girl before I sign off, one last shameless plug since uh, this episode is coming up on Halloween. Uh, mm-hmm. On Saturday, November 5th uh, is Extra Life. I'm participating with a bunch of mm-hmm. lovely goons again. Uh, yeah. it's, it's for a good cause. We're trying to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. Uh, you don't have to necessarily tune into me or anybody else on, on my goon squad team. But if you, happen to, if you happen to be free on Saturday, November 5th, and you like watching Twitch... Try finding a streamer who's doing Extra Life, and if you can, uh, maybe consider donating. If you can't donate, just spread the word, because like it doesn't matter who you watch or, or who you, you donate to. All the money's going to help out sick kids. Absolutely. So it's, like, yeah. it's, it's for a great cause. 
Uh, anyways, uh, I'm James, also known as Saber0307. I stream on Twitch. Uh, but, you know, my, my streams are mid. They need more runes. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, y'all take care of yourselves. Be excellent to each other, and etc., etc. And uh, watch out for runes. I'll say yes, hi, hello. I'm saving that for the end. What a twist. <gasps> Goodbye, everybody. Everybody get fucked. Time to come. Eat, eat weevil oh. pies at night. Oh my god. <laughs>